family life of the royal creche is different for many people to understand, but I shall try to give you a capsule view of it. My father had only one real friend, I think. That was Count Hasmir Fenring, the genetic eunuch and one of the deadliest fighters in the Imperium. The Count, a dapper and ugly little man, brought a new slave concubine to my father one day, and I was dispatched by my mother to spy on the proceedings. All of us spied on my father as a matter of self-protection. One of the slave concubines permitted my father, under the Bene Gesserit Guild Agreement, could not, of course, bear a royal successor, but the intrigues were constant and oppressive in all their similarity. We became adept, my mother and sister and I, at avoiding subtle instruments of death. It may seem a dreadful thing to say, but I'm not at all sure my father was innocent in all these attempts. A royal family is not like other royal families. Here was a new slave concubine, red-haired like my father, willowy and graceful. She had a dancer's muscles, and her training obviously had included neuro-enticement. My father looked at her for a long time as she postured unclothed before him. Finally, he said, She is too beautiful. We will save her as a gift. You have no idea how much consternation this restraint created in the royal crest. Subtlety and self-control were, after all, the most deadly threats to us all. In my father's house, by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Ah, Mike, we are almost into the 30s. We're so close. I know. We're coming in with chapter 29 and bottle. I feel like Ooh. we get more excited about the number going up each week than like the actual chapter sometimes. It's, well, that and it's a stark reminder because I'll be listening a few chapters ahead and then I'll like <laughs> listen to our last episode when you send it to me. Yeah, so yeah. like, I do need to be told where I am when I sit down here. <laughs> so that's why I make a big This deal is just a moment it. of clarity for you. This is me, Derek. 29. 29. Come on. <laughs> but, Mike, we have yeah. a really good wine today. Oh, tell me about it. This is a Kendall Jackson, uh, it's a Vinter's Reserve. I got, got the special one. Uh, it's a Chardonnay from 2018. But I, I put their website into our little info list we keep up. And mm. uh, checking into it, it said download uh, flavor profile. I was like, what? I got to check that out. So you can get a whole PDF for a little bottle that you uh, buy, and it gets you the tasting notes. I can see some statistical information on it. I can tell you the pH of that is uh, <laughs> 3.42. That's really acidic. Uh, it's got 13.5 uh, alcohol by volume. And then the growing regions are 52% Monterey County, 31% Santa Barbara County, which is where I used to live. Ah. So that's awesome. And 15% uh, Mendocino County and 2% from Sonoma County. Net two percent, Mike. Very important. It's Only critical to that bottle. Why? It doesn't tell me that. It's a secret. <laughs> Just two percent. Just two percent. We're short a couple of grapes. <laughs> really? You think they went like door to door? Like, can I borrow a cup of grapes? Can I get a, a bunch of grapes, please? <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you? Uh, you want to try it out? Yeah. No, I've tried it. It's awesome. It is really good. It rem mm. uh, reminds me of the butter that we had, except it doesn't have the the creamy finish to it, but it's got that same like that like oaky bite. vanilla finish. Yeah. yeah, it's not there. This is like really crisp the whole way through. Uh, it's got a big bloom to it, but like 
Mm, the flavors there. What you, I got one here. It's telling me tropical flavors. So I was going to say pineapple, mango, pineapple. I was about to say pineapple. Okay. I, like, I get a little bit of pineapple, pineapple there. I was going to say citrus was sort of what was proper for me, but I think that's the better angle of well, it. I just associate like uh, pineapple is one of the most acidic fruits that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was thinking about that in terms of mm. uh, how acidic this is. That's fantastic. I, I'm liking this for our white wine. We're I'm, like, you know, I'm proud of you. You've been taking the initiative. You've been going out and picking the white wines or taking a leap of faith each time. You're yeah. starting to learn, find what you like. Yeah, we had, we've had, I think, just that one really bad bottle. Yeah, and hey, then the rest have been like. There's always going to be a few. There, always. I, was, there were some reds we didn't like either. There was that one red. The Spellbound was. Uh, was it? Oh, yeah, it was. Was it Spellbound? Ooh, now you have me questioning it. You said that so. Uh, Do you think I can remember? I can barely remember the chapter. I know, but I was confident. You just knocked me off of my pedestal. <laughs> Down to your level. <laughs> Just, who knows? But there definitely was some that we don't remember. Oh man! But let's let's dive into this, Mike. Yeah. So this was a long intro, and I was really long one. Very happy because we switch on even and odd chapters, so yeah. I knew yeah. I didn't have convenient. To do this one. I don't think you've gotten a long one yet. <laughs> you get all the little short ones. Uh, I've had a couple who, long ones. Who do you despise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Yui 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 goes through. That was a good one. <laughs> this one, though, is probably more narrative exposition of, like, Irulan's life and some backstory for yeah. some characters we haven't really met yet, mm -hmm. right? I think the biggest thing is the Emperor is a ginger. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's news to me. Not really. Did it, me, no, did it mention the Sardaukar had sort of, like, a red hair? Ooh, I, I don't remember if that was the case. It, I mean, I think it would have been during the death of Piter that that was mentioned. Mm -hmm. I was just so emotional at that point that I, I couldn't really take in anymore. Yeah, you were, you were a wreck. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling better, by the way. <laughs> we're bringing up Count Hasmir Fenring again. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that he is the Emperor's best friend. That's confirmed and probably that's established here. That Yeah, this is exactly where that comes from. He's your favorite character that you've told me. He is my favorite character. All I know about him is he goes like, hmm. Every so often. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a weird conversational bit. Yeah. Uh, with the one quote I read to you out of context. When we were recording this earlier, I was really tempted to be like, mm, right in the middle. <laughs> like, when you mentioned his name. I don't know if I would have caught it. <laughs> I think you would have. No, uh, maybe, maybe. It was a really strong. But just that I know you haven't, you don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why. So, like, once you get to there, that'll be really funny. Um, but then you also know, uh, we know his wife a little bit. We've had that little interaction oh, with Margot Fenring's that's letter. That's right. So I kind of filled you in on that. Uh, what else did you get out of this quote then, Phil, uh, kind of informing you about Count Hasmir Fenring? One of the deadliest fighters in the Imperium. Ooh, that, yeah. Is so, he a Mentat at all? He is not a Mentat, okay. but he is basically, I, I would say, kind of like a master of assassins. Like, you know, he wrote the uh, his part of the Assassin's Handbook. So I feel when, like if you like write in the Assassin's Handbook, you should probably be given the title Master of Assassins. That's why I've kind of leveled with you. Of like, I feel like that is a, a secondary term, but I know it is applied for the Mentat school. Right, right. So it screws with things. But when we did that background of it, you know, they even in the encyclopedia give him like a family lineage mm -hmm. history to the Assassin's Handbook. I think just to tie into this aspect of like he's a deadly fighter and he's the Emperor's assassin. Right. So let's ham it up in his history. Fair. Totally cool. Um, but we get the genetic eunuch part. I told you about that in our kind of backstory of him. Right. Uh, of like, that's why he was not the Kwisatch Haderach. Mm -hmm. They found that out after when, uh, I think as he went through puberty. But I love that he gets, he's dapper. So he's very well dressed. Yeah. So he's dapper and he's what? A, a Ugly little man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He just, I, I just, I, I just sense confidence from this guy. Yeah, that's what he, like, <laughs> that's what Sexy Bell has me offended. <laughs> this guy knows himself. I like it. He doesn't need to be a beautiful, 
<laughs> it's inside you. As long as it feels good. Mm-hmm. So the first time I read this quote, mm-hmm. I was very much, I think, caught up on this idea of uh, the concubine being brought in, her having red hair. Mm-hmm. Of just like, was that Jessica? Was she then gifted to no. the thing? No, it can't be. No. Do, you, do you know why it absolutely can't be? I, I don't know why it can't be, but. Because Irulan, Irulan's age is contemporary to Paul's. Oh. So she couldn't be spying on him Did, and it'd it be Jessica. Is it contemporary to us? Yep. Uh, okay, so they are about the same age. Yeah, uh, I, believe she, I believe she's like two years younger. Gotcha. So this is, oh, okay, interesting then. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, so it's not her, but uh, I don't know who this is that they brought in. I don't think it's supposed and, to matter. I think the point is mm-hmm. that uh, she's got red hair like him. I think the point is she's probably one of the most attractive people he's ever like seen. Someone that like appeals to him specifically. Well, she does. And because she has neuro enticement is a sort of training, which would be like to tr- do triggers right, on right, him right. without him being fully aware kind of deal. Mm-hmm. The Bene Gesserit just, would Just looking at her is an aphrodisiac. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she'll uh, just catch her eye and like entice you into it. Um, but I like that then because he's able to show so much self-control, the emperor can, mm-hmm. that they're just like, they're even more worried about that. Right, right, right. And just like, this means so much more than if he would have brought this woman like, into the house. Like, he's still a honed blade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, when he says like, she's too beautiful, I wonder if he saw through, like saw a trap in there. I bet he did. Well, no, they also say that, uh, one of these slave concubines branded my father under the Bene Gesserit guild agreement could not of course bear a royal successor, but the intrigues were constant and oppressive in their similarity. So they were always Mm. still worried no matter what. Yeah. If it wasn't a Bene Gesserit sister there, there's no guarantee that like nothing would be attempted or anything along those lines. And they, I think she even goes on to continue. It may seem a dreadful thing to say, but I'm not at all sure my father was innocent in all these attempts. You think that maybe he did a couple times try to like off uh, Irulan in some manner? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't. I would not put that past him. Oh at all, my god! Sure. Uh, but like, how, where he was trying to go with that, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, if you don't have if, to worry about the Bene Gesserit watching, no one's going to stop you from, like, actually having your own sire. Although, no, it no, is no, part no. of the guild agreement with the Bene Gesserit, We're, right? It, like, his agreement is that it has to be from the Bene Gesserit to go on the throne. No matter who he has, right. he can't give a concubine's Did child Did he status. know when that so, agreement, when that deal was made, that was they a, can choose? That was done by Elrude Ninth before him. Oh, God, that's right. That's yeah, right. He inked the deal, and then Shaddam took the throne afterwards, because eventually... Uh, He's looking at the fine print like, you uh, son of a... Well, <laughs> a certain finest fighter in the Imperium, I believe, took care of Elrude with some Chalmurky. Oh, if you recall. that's right. Because uh, Fenric dealt him in. So he took the throne and then was like, crap, I'm honed in a little bit. <laughs> so this is something Shaddam had never had any control over, which makes it, I think, even more grating for him. Right. You know, to be like caged in like that. I think that uh, this was definitely confusing to read. Mm-hmm. And I even after reading it a couple times, I was trying to be like, one, what what am I learning from this? What is Frank trying to tell me? And then two, what the fuck does this have to do with the chapter? That's a good point. <laughs> I have no idea to do with the chapter. I, I don't think I can tell you either. Self-control? I, no, I, not. I feel like this, see, to me, if I'm going to step back from the book a little yeah. bit, this feels like something that maybe the author had and didn't know where else to put it, but didn't want to cut it. Because it is good. Right. I like what it tells you and what it sort of fills you in on. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice fly on the wall kind of thing. That, but yes. it's deep enough that you can really digest it and like really analyze it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like all characters that like we're sort of aware of, but very periphery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to give them this little scene here, it's kind of great. And uh, then the reason I kind of feel it is that way is because this one reads so differently from all the others mm-hmm. up to this point. Like none of them have been structured in this way. 
or given us telling us a little event that's happening. It's usually a little more direct in its commentary. And the idea, too, is, I mean, this is coming from her perspective, trying to be like, okay, for the layman, if you're not part of a royal family, I know it's not really an easy thing to understand. You have Mm -hmm. this idea in your head. This is what it's actually like. And it's still very hard to perceive. On the last thing, do you know what a crush is? I don't. If you look that up, it's uh, it's like a nursery. Oh. Uh, I think it was originally like part of like a like a aspect of like a nunnery or a church thing. And then so the royal, it'd be like the royal nursery. Interesting. It's kind of cool. It's just like, oh, and for, I think, just children growing up too. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't know how we want to tie it into the chapter, but I guess let's go to the end of the chapter and we'll see if we figure it out so. along the way. All together. I know is that a young Irulan was spying on her dad trying to get down. And uh, trying not to die in the process. And trying not to die in the process. <laughs> yep. What a life. Ah, <laughs> uh, royals. <laughs> but this chapter, Mike, starts off in a pretty cool spot. We're back with Paul, back yeah. with Jessica. And uh, we have Paul is set up the still tent, and it's been in this kind of crevasse of rock. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we're sort of late afternoon. Uh, we left them last time after a little science experiment. Uh, <laughs> so funny. So funny. And we had gone down that fissure, and we were like right. just about 100 feet above the desert. That's where we camped out. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're waiting for the night to finally come, and we're going to cross now this we desert. can get out and start walking. Start walking. Yeesh. Walk without rhythm, though. Don't mm-hmm. attract the worm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Jessica is still actually sleeping in the tent while Paul is sort of out there looking around mm-hmm. when we start this up. And I think he's just sort of having, like, a moment to himself. Like, this is, like, maybe his first moment of peace. Yeah, uh, well, and not even really a moment of peace, though. I think this is the time where he wants to uh, kind of entertain the idea of despair. Because he has this really dark thought of, like, what if uh, what if there isn't one of the abandoned testing stations across there? Oh, I guess He right. wondered, what if there are no Fremen either? And the plants we see are only an accident. Ooh. Do you think he's putting a lot of weight into the plants? No, uh, I don't. It's like the only reason why they're crossing there. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think it's, I mean, no, actually, it can't really be prescient because he tells us he's in a black spot right, right. now for prescient. So he, but I think he has kind of an idea and he's more still following Kynes' instruction. Mm-hmm. Follow the storm, go here, my people will know how to find you. Or rather, he's just, uh, he didn't tell them to go here. He didn't, specifically didn't want to know where they're going. Ride the storm. Don't tell me where. Someone will find yeah. you. And just, so he's just, I think he just feels the need to keep moving mm-hmm. and not, you know, like they're being hunted right now. Uh, and that this seems as good of a place. Because he does using like Fremen logic, essentially. Right, right. And even when we camped here last time, looking out over there, he's like, that's a good place to go. And in this chapter, he tells Jessica, like, there's going to be a Siach on the other side of that rock. Mm-hmm. So somehow Paul has this knowledge. I don't really know any better than you how right. he knows this. And if they don't survive, then his job is easier in the long run. If, if who doesn't? <laughs> if uh, Paul and Jessica so don't survive. Job yeah. is easier. He's like, like fuck. Wash my hands of this one. Um, so Jessica, though, she wakes up in this tent and, uh, she looks out, you know, the, uh, the sphincter valve part, that is the clear plastic. I just want to get a laugh <laughs> every at time, him, like, every time. Uh, that's the whole clear plastic part of the tent. Okay. So that's what she's seeing out of. And, uh, Paul has her kind of back to her. And in that moment, she's looking at her son, you know, he's having this kind of gaze over the desert and just through his body language, she's reminded of Leto. And it's sort of like Leto is standing outside Mm -hmm. that tent for her. And this just causes, like, grief to well up in her. She has to, like, restrain herself from it, like, welling up too much and, like, start thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. Goes through, like, a little regiment, maybe. And so at that, she then takes a drink from the uh, the cash pocket in the tent. This is is assumably the uh, moisture they've lost from breathing over the day. Uh, over the yeah, over the day while While they were sleeping in there. Yep, you're right. Uh, And then they still have their still suits on, even when you're in the tent. 
So like that gets getting all the rest of your oh, sweat gotcha. and body okay. Yeah, you don't take your still suit off. Just in CH. Just in CH. Okay. Only in CH. And once uh, you have to put a door seal up of the CH. Oh, so then nothing can get out. Yeah, yeah. Right. You got to do that first. And then uh, that's how we do water discipline in CH. Mm-hmm. You don't go before the door seals up. Otherwise, you might as well be outside in a way. And uh, I think then Jessica kind of comes uh, comes out of the tent. She joins Paul out there. And Paul, he speaks without turning to her. And he's just saying, I'm finding myself quite enjoying the quiet here. And uh, I like this where it's sort of like Paul, again, like really adapting and to this environment. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, Very quickly. Yeah. And not entertaining the idea of like, we need to leave here or like plan to get out of here. Just like, we're going to be here for a while. Well, I think he's already seen so many different possibilities. I think he just knows like, this is where our fate lies. And he's using everything that he knows. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is, I mean, this is our life now. That's just how it is. We have no like, other choice. Why would you fight it at that point? Yeah. And I think, is it Jessica that notes, um, like how quickly your mind adapts to a new environment? Mm. Uh, and then and like, she recalls the Bene Gesserit axiom. So many axioms of like, Ooh, was this one familiar though? When you read it, uh, the mind can go either direction under stress towards positive or towards negative on or off. Think of it as a spectrum whose extremes are unconsciousness at the negative and hyper-consciousness at the positive end. The way the mind will lean under stress is strongly influenced by training. I want to say no. I didn't actually recognize this. Was this uh, from Guys Hell and Mahayim? No, no, no. This is uh, when we did the Bene Gesserit training deep dive. Oh. I read that one to you. And uh, I'd asked if you'd heard it before because I was like, wait. Because I knew it came up in the book. Right. I was like, did we pass that one already? I wasn't sure entirely. But this is it. Um, and part of like having control, like I told you in the training is a lot of having the body will let you control the rest of the environment around you. Okay. And that is sort of what this is based on. Like you definitely need to control yourself. Otherwise, uh, so this was brought up in, ref- in response to Paul panicking, mm-hmm. you know, cause his mind wasn't trained well enough. Right, right, right. His mind went to the negative, went to the off instead of going to hyper consciousness, which gotcha. is what, that's what Jessica had did when she was able to put herself in trance in that moment of sinking and being buried. Okay, that that's uh, really helpful. And then uh, Paul sort of comes back with that of, it could be a good life here. Which, like, that's got to be a lie. No, I don't think so. <laughs> a good life? I think it could be a life. I think it'd be a hard life, but it's not a bad a life. It's a hard life. I don't think he, he didn't say bad life. He no. didn't. No, no, I, I, would just, I just think good is an optimistic word at best. Maybe too optimistic. I don't know. For how their day's gone and is about to go. I feel, I, I feel like he's... I feel like he's seen a lot of the beauty around this place now. He oh oh, we're gonna get to the beautiful part. Yeah, isn't that really cool? Uh, but you, no, you're kind of right. And uh, Jessica, like looking out of the desert, tries to see it through Paul's yeah. eyes instead of being like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, she gives it a chance. And, yeah, uh, she wonders at like uh, all the futures Paul has seen. And I think it's important to note that she doesn't ask Paul about those. Like, she is still afraid to know what they are, right? Right. But she is curious. I can't wait for that conversation to pop up at some point. I don't think the Bene Gesserit in her is, like, allowed to ask in a way. You think not? Kind of like, well, the whole um, thing we read of, like, it might be a time, taboo time needs sort? to be a blank canvas. Because mm-hmm. that's where I get from here of, like, she is not asking him, even though it's on her mind right now. There's no reason why she can't say right here, like, what have right. you seen? Like, I think she, or at least she very much respects that power and maybe understands that even him imparting knowledge to her will change something, right? Hmm. Uh, and that's sort of ultimately what Paul's been dealing with this whole time. It's just every variable of, like, they're all over the place. So, like, maybe it's a such a boon that she's not going to throw one more variable at him right. by making him discuss it. But I'm not sure. Uh, the particulars. So she does note, though, that we can be out here uh, without fear of the hunter. 
mm, without thinking that someone's behind you. Mm-hmm. There's sort of like a little bit of safety in it. Yeah. Like kind of because like what we touched on where the desert's your only enemy. But this is also really funny because in contrast to the last chapter we had, they're talking about, you know, being out among the sands, you no fear of someone behind you, of the hunter, sort of like, you know, the Fremen always out in the sands. But according to Tuik, like a life of Fremen is the life of being hunted. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not, I'm not sure which direction you go here. Well, no, no, no. So the Fremen as a whole are hunted, right? Right. But like when they're out in the desert, they're for the most part safe. Right, I think no I one's going to go out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the difference of like them engaging with their enemy. But okay. like when you go in the deep southern desert, I think no matter who you are, when you're there, you're always are alone. Are they really hunted then? Or are they just like, mm, we're going to put up some fences? I think we're talking like kind of semantics. I of think like, so. I feel like Jessica and Tuak are both using that word a little differently. Yeah. Right? Uh, where I think she's just saying out here, you know, the idea of like you can look all around you and you can either see the hunter or not. Sort of is what I'm drawing from this. You know, it's a lot easier to know if you're hunted or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more so. But which which of them do you think is more correct then? Do you think there's a difference between the two? I want to say probably Lady Jessica on this one. Yeah, yeah. I I like hers better. Uh, you, you know, Tuik is also at man. the very least you'd see them coming miles away. My yeah. So even in the moonlight. Yeah. Uh, but I'd also say like just Tuik. Uh, maybe that says more about his character too. Mm-hmm. He is very much. He's not a Fremen kind of guy. No, he is he's, not down. He's he, diet Fremen. Diet, diet <laughs> Fremen. Yeah, that's right. He's half Fremen. I like my comforts, but uh, <laughs> I do know how to do this job. I still want to drink the Coke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> so uh, at this point, Jessica sort of uh, steps past Paul and she takes up her binoculars and she looks over at that rock escarpment that they're going to head towards. To mm-hmm. just those oil lenses. It's so easy. It's so quick and precise. And she just sort of notes the many plants over there, the saguaro and everything ah. else. And uh, then she looks over to the left. To the left is a large white salt pan. It stretches out and sort of like glares back Ooh. at them. And this means that, you know, there was water at one point flowing on the surface of that goddamn salt pan. Yeah, this is making me even more intrigued now. Like, Arrakis hasn't always been a desert planet. Mm-mm. Arrakis once had open seas. How did it turn into a desert then? Couldn't tell you. Some wild uh, ecological effect for sure. I feel like if you knew what caused it, you might have a better time figuring out how to uh, reverse it. Ooh, interesting. I don't know, like backwards engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying yeah. to figure out like maybe not be able to do it precisely, but like, oh, we know that we need this and this, or like, if as long as we don't do this, we'll be fine. Interesting. If it was something natural that caused it, would you say? I mean, do we even have a right to reverse it? I don't know. I mean, certainly the Imperium doesn't give a shit about ethics. No. They will, they will glass a planet right, right, like right. no tomorrow, but... Yeah, like a third moon crashing down on <laughs> the planet. Or a mysterious planet disappearing from the system. <laughs> yeah. that we, don't worry about Harmon Threat. <laughs> <laughs> don't go there. I don't know. Um, I don't know if they care or not, but I definitely think Kynes cares, and that's all that really matters in this particular place, because this desert is more or less his. Mm. That's yeah, yeah, please. That's what he'd tell you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I we'll just have to wait till we can check in with Kinds again and get his. Uh, we need an ecological report, please. I heard you had some papers doctor. ready to go. Doctor, <laughs> come on, get a doctor. <laughs> we got a salt pan over here. Um. So yeah, we just know uh, that. I figured it would be a good little thing to attack onto your mystery board here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you know where to put it. I'm running out of room uh, on yeah. the corkboard. Definitely was open water. We have the evidence. 
So while Sheen's kind of looking out there, Paul starts uh, breaking down the camp, and uh, the sun's going to begin to set soon. And uh, we get this really beautiful description of the sunset, where mm. the sun dipped lower, shadows stretched across the salt plan, lines of wild color spread over the sunset horizon, color streamed into a toe of darkness, testing the sand, coal-colored shadows spread, and the thick collapse of night blotted the desert. I like that escalation. I'm yeah. just like it going, a flare of colors goes out and then the darkness kind of sets down and just like goes over all those dunes. You just see little black dots slowly glowing on their mm-hmm. backside. It'd be awesome. You can see the stars. Yeah, of course the stars come mm-hmm. coming out so many and they'd be so clear. And uh, Paul kind of pops right back up beside and he's like, I got the thumper ready to go. Uh, once, uh, you know, the first moon's up, we'll head out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's using the first moon as like if they just want a little light to kind of guide them or if it's a measure of time. It could be a little of both. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say late because uh, later in this chapter, he seems very distraught by the fact that he can't see anything. Right. Uh, that's yeah. So maybe yeah. like so I think it's more for the light over the desert this. is a little better than pitch pitch. I black. think it's more for the light in this particular point, especially because his prescience is blind right now. Sure. So like any sort of like guidance is. 100% welcome for Paul. <laughs> yeah, for doing what we're going to do so we don't lose each other, uh, so we can still mm. maybe see the rock that we're going towards. Could be a, so, a myriad reasons. Thumper's ready to go. We, I uh, I think I even guessed, uh, was it last week or a week before, that like you could use the thumper to distract a worm, to set it up on a rock and run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, this is what's happening. Yeah, you were dead nailed on it. it. So I wanted to even like, kind of pause here and tell you about a thumper, Mike. Okay. Because uh, I pulled that out of the encyclopedia. I'll tell you a little more about what it actually is that he's pulling out. It it. But by his description, it sounds kind of like a candle or a fuse of some sort. So that's part of it. That's what he lights okay. to make it go at a certain time. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be, uh, it's made of spice plastic. Ah! Lido would be proud. Right, right. Um, and it is, uh, it's a stake. Uh, it's pointed at one end, and at the top is a spring-driven clapper. Okay. So it's going to be like, imagine like uh, an alarm bell. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That is a spring-driven clapper. Okay. Um, where, like, you wind it up, and right. as it's unwinding, it's hitting that thing over okay. and over and over, right? Uh, and then you can obviously adjust the gears to make it go as quickly or as slowly as you want. So however they set up a thumper, it sounds like it's mm-hmm. a kind of like a pure, like, bump, bump, bump. All right. Uh, it's what I assume is how it works. Uh, so the Zensuni records give credit to its in- uh, for its invention to Naib Trekum of Sich al-Rab. Ah. So this one guy made it up. And uh, the predecessor of the thumper is actually an impact hammer that was used by Imperial geologists. Uh, this is prior to them using ultrasound uh, scan, uh, to do scanning of subsurface rock structures. Mm-hmm. So they used to have these impact hammers and they bam and hit it on the ground and then scan those okay, rocks. Okay, that's and one they, way to do it. It was one way to do it. <laughs> yes, it was. And, uh, do you know what happens when you do it that one way? <laughs> Eventually, um, so Naib uh, Trekum, his uh, band, like found these uh, ragtag imperial geologists who are like, they look fucked up. And he rescues them. And uh, one of the rest rescuers tells Trekum, no no after we activated the hammer a giant serpent emerged from the sand it was a terrible beast and he's like oh <laughs> and he kind of like just uh ca- 
catalogs that information. Even the Fremen didn't know that was a thing. Oh, really? Like, That's what makes Shia Lud show up? Oh, they didn't realize it was the movement. They didn't know. Uh, especially, like, that it was percussive noise, I guess. that would So, all, like, that it Fremen would on the desert were just lucky when they were no, walking? No, no, no. So, I think they knew the walk. But it, it's that uh, I don't think they knew that percussion like that could regularly call it. Okay. Or maybe, because um, you think of how much stronger a thumper is than your steps. Right. Maybe there is an amount of luck that you have with moving that, like, this is just this is a James McAvoy. Yeah, this is a hundred percent though. Okay. Anytime you use this, you're gonna get a worm, uh, and that's like kind of the benefit of it. Uh, or you can use it a hundred percent to distract a worm. You know, like that is just as valuable as we're gonna see Paul do in this chapter and happen at the end of the chapter. Hmm. Um. So that is why uh, the Imperials they went to ultrasound after that, and they were like, "That's easier. We're just gonna do this from now on." And uh, the um, after the invention of the thumper. The impact hammer is pretty much gone from the universe. Um, this was one of the last places it was used. <laughs> and once uh, they stopped it, the Fremen weren't going to use it. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know about that one. And so uh, they refer to it as uh, the collar is the person the putting is the person who's putting this down. Yeah, because you're calling that worm in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you drive the thumper into more compact sand. So you would put it into the windward face of the dune because that's going to be pushed on and more sand kind of hammered in. Okay, that makes sense. And that's going to carry the sound better when mm-hmm. it finally goes right, off. Right, right. And uh, you activate the the mechanism and it produces a drum-like thumping. It's a long spring that was uh, held tightly wound with a fabric tie. So that's all that's holding it in place. Oh. So. Uh, cheap to make. If you flip the tie away, it'll just start spinning freely and start clapping. Uh, and that'll get going. Or you could put a candle in there. That candle burns down. Oh, on the thread. And once it's gone, it's like a timer for when the thumper will start. Uh, well, no, once it gets low enough, it lights that fabric tie. But the fabric tie straight burns away. So, yeah, it's, right. the candle doesn't have to burn out, but that fabric tie burns away. And okay. then, yeah, so same principle there. And then it starts. So he's that's got a little, really cool. A little 30 minute candle uh, makes it go. Uh, so they just tell you like, and this is a great thing to use for uh, decoy purposes for like distracting worm through. So you can just guide it off to any other side mm-hmm. like that. That's all I got for a little thumper. Uh, that's really cool. Thumper so I, I can definitely see the use of the thumper now. It's pretty cool. What about yeah. the, what about those hooks? Dude. Oh my God. <laughs> so hooks. he mentions the hooks again. Even, even Paul. Yeah. And they're kaleidoscopic. Gonna... Is that what he says? Yeah. Like they'll, uh, you can, uh, comp- compact them down. Right, right, yeah. right. How far do they go? Um, I think they're only like uh, it's probably like three or four feet. I, uh, I think it's like the kind of like a full on javelin. I hate kind of these thing. things, and I just because I have no idea what they're fucking for. <laughs> You're gonna embarrass me in front of my friend and friends, Mike. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> what are these guys? I swear he's cool. He's cool. <laughs> no, no, uh, flip it over. Flip it over. <laughs> oh God. So. <laughs> We'll keep on going with that story here. Uh, we're jumping in. Jessica, so this is, as Paul's going to light that thing up, um, Jessica has a quick thought of how they could be lost forever here and no one would ever know. Mm. And very much like Paul, she keeps her despair to herself. Right. Because they're really good traveling companions for this little adventure. Like, they got some beef between them, and we're just we're putting that on the back burner. That's not going to affect how we get through right. the desert today. We're going to just push Survival through. Survival is number one right now. Exactly. So they, I think they're taking that lesson in stride, and they are doing really well. I think, like I said last time, like, these were the perfect individuals to be doing this. I don't think anyone else could have survived their circumstances. Yeah. Interesting to think of, like, uh, I mean... Somehow, well, let's say we flip the script. What if Leto and Paul survived and it was them out in the desert? Leto would screw something up. Re- pride, yeah. pride would get in the way, right? Well, he wouldn't sleep, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Or maybe he never wakes up. <laughs> he finally knocks out. Oh, no more fatigue pills. Like, oh, no. maybe he can't keep going. Dad, where'd all the fatigue pills go? <laughs> <laughs> falling out of her mouth. <laughs> this is foaming a little bit. <laughs> Paul, did you know the stumper's made out of spice plastic? <laughs> God damn it, Dad. Stop <laughs> telling me about that. <laughs> Paul, we can use spice for everything. <laughs> He's gone manic again. So, um, the night wind spread sand runnels that grated across her face, bringing the smell of cinnamon. Mm. A shower of odors in the dark. More cinnamon, Mike. Lots of cinnamon. I feel like, why don't we have like a cinnamon, cinnamon candle burning while we do this? <laughs> like, wouldn't that really get us immersed in this? We can, yeah, we, we can do that for, well, we'll, Hey, it's the fall. They're, I, they're selling them now. Okay, there is a ceremony that's going to happen one chapter. I will promise you here, I will set this up for our ceremony. I like it. I'll give, it, I'll give you the full, the full kit we for it. We will have cinnamon. Uh, and Jessica, though, she mentioned the smell of this is super strong. She can smell it through her nose filters right now. Oh. They're like, those are yeah, plugging yeah. up your nose entirely. Uh, and she goes, riches, but will it buy water? And she pointed across the basin. There are no artificial lights across there. And this is where Paul mentions that there would be a hidden, uh, the right. Fremen would be hidden in Siege behind those rocks. So, like, I think he knows there's a Siege there somehow. If not through prescient vision, something. Well, it's just, I mean, like, also the, she's, uh, I think this is a good moment of insight for her as well. Because we know that water isn't just something you buy. It's a currency in its own right. Yeah, that now so she's like, comparing it. Would to we be a, able to use spice to get water? Yep, I like that. Like, what's more valuable in the desert right now? There's spice fucking everywhere. Yeah, it's not that we were talking about townhouses. You can get with those. Now yeah. we're like, do you think we can get a cup of water? Because uh, I'd really be down for a cup of water right <laughs> yeah. now. Some clean, non-acrid, mm-hmm. non-brackish water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, we have our our moon uh, creeps up over the horizon. And the first moon, it's the hand-shaped moon, the hand of remembered pain. Mm, is what we're yeah. And I hope that's what it's there for. So Paul had set that thumper down in the deepest crevasse that he could just to fuck with this worm. The worm is going to so hate this. And I, I kind of sympathize with the worm a little bit. Uh, but he lights it and he's like, hey, we got, we got 30 minutes, mom. And she's just like, let's go. They hop off that rock. And um, right as they get going, you've kind of Jessica's thought of the night is a tunnel, a hole into tomorrow. If we're to have a tomorrow, she shook her head. Why must I be so morbid? I was trained better than that. And like that goes back to that axiom, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, left or right. You can go one way or the other, you right. know, or the other, and she's going to pick the right way to go. And uh, they, Paul comes up behind her. He takes up that little pack and uh, leads the way down the stro- slopes because he's always going to be taking the lead here, kind of taking right. point. And they, they go into the sand, and I love this next part where we get a little – these are kind of our, uh, our prescient rules that we've been wanting to define right. so much. We must walk without rhythm, Paul said. And he called up memory of men walking the sand, both prescient memory and real memory. Watch how I do it, he said. This is how the Fremen walk the sand. He just goes out and does it. So he is able to look up, learn something, come back and apply it to like his body. But like I said before, we talked about have not being able to transfer muscle memory. Right. But I think you can do everything other than that. You'll know right, right. all the steps. You'll know all the procedures. And he can make it happen. And uh, they head out there and, you know, going along the windward face of the mm-hmm. dune. And they follow the curve of it, too. But only some... if he's been shown that particular path or memory at some point within that uh, his scope of his prescience. Because he has blind spots as well. Things where he just doesn't know where things happen. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, uh, yeah, actually, I was going to say, I think he can see some avenues even when he's in some blind spots. He can see the places beyond them. 
but he right. just can't see a way out of that blind spot. Right, right, right. Other times, like I think in this instance, he mentions like he can't see Jack. Right. Like nothing, even the possibility of something. So like he gets very ambiguous with those rules of like what the precedents right. will give you. I think um, this is just definitely something that he knows that he has seen mm -hmm. in the future. Um, his Mentat mode cataloged it really quickly. And I was like, okay, I know how we can do this. Give me a second. Let me remember. Okay. We just do what I do. Yeah. Just yeah. Does. Well, I think it's the future look. And then the, we saw people already want running like this. And I actually want to make a correction of one thing, but for the first memory, I think would have been uh, with kinds. Okay. He looked down. He saw the Fremen running away. Oh, right. That guy. So he, that's sand walking. Like gliding across the sand almost. Yep. The other one, which now I'm thinking back to is the Thufir Kyle, the Fremen chapter. When the Fremen, when, when the first band gets out and it says they're walking through and kind of dragging in the sand. Mm -hmm. And I told you, I thought they were intentionally being slow to get the attention. No, I think they were actually just walking the way they're supposed to walk. Exactly. Because he, and he emphasizes dragging in this description mm -hmm. of like how Paul walks. Would they have needed to drag though? Because like there was no way a worm could get to them at that point. They, well, Kyle kept looking back at the uh, entryway, remember? We would, oh, because the worm could get there. And that is their muscle memory. They, I don't think, can walk normally. <laughs> like on the sand, like they're. That's they, fair. They've That's been a doing really it since a kid. Point. Like that would be as unnormal to them as this is to Jessica and Paul. Okay, that's a really good point. Right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I think it's a mix of the two. Um, but certainly I think they would understand that like, yeah, we're not at risk of a worm right now. Right. Uh, cause we're banging a bunch of shit into the <laughs> thopters left Pots and right. Band, we're all yeah. running around. Yeah. Um, uh, but I thought it was really cool though that we get, so now we have them doing it. Jessica, she watches him, watches him take 10 steps and she's like, I got this. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ben A. Jesuit. She's Lady Jessica. Yeah, I know. I just, I love it. Uh, that it's, it tells you only for 10 steps and then she starts up mm -hmm. and she's like, this is where like she hits home. Uh, she's going to be our eyes for learning this whole skill. Right. Cause she, this is how we know about muscle memory is a thing. Cause like she starts doing it and God, is it a strain on her legs? I'm just like, this sucks so much. But then I love that it gives you the description of step drag. Drag, step, step, wait, drag, step. And it's like, I love it. It's really cool. Um, it doesn't really help you picture it, but he, like the intentionally telling you, like, you got to make an atypical pattern, something that like the worm's not going to pick up on. Mm -hmm. And they make their progress. It's slow as hell, but, and it must have been like very eerie because uh, it would just be silence except for the two people. Those little noises, and then they hear it like the the thumper kicks in, right? Yep. Lump, 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 and then all of a sudden, it's a lot harder to walk without making a beat because you have a beat going <laughs> behind you that's on this steady course, and they start like getting caught into it. I'm I uh, I haven't seen the movie or anything, so I don't know what like they did for sounds, but in my mind, I imagine the Jumanji drums. Ooh, what is so um. Is it just like? It's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. Okay, you want to give it like a little. Oh, maybe I don't know. Give it. You get a thumper with some flair. There's got to be some artistic fremen. Some party thumpers. Just a gurney thumper. He's like, nah. You got it. It's not quite right. It's got to be a C minor. Turn that metronome up. Yeah. Get a gyroscope in that bad boy. <laughs> so uh, they continue on keeping their ears perked for a special hissing sound. Mm -hmm. The sound once you hear, you never forget. Right. right? And uh, the worst part is, and this must be like so goddamn terrifying, is that their steps masked it for a while. Well, like while they're going before they realize, yeah. like, wait, that's not us. That's 
Uh, they've never known that fact yet because it's the first time they get to walk like in the sand like that. Yeah. Ooh. So, uh, do you think it'd be possible they're walking and like the little like crest of sand comes under them and like lifts them up like a little bit of a wave? Not without them knowing. No, they would know. Okay. Do you think that they could trick a worm? Be like, ah, potentially. I wouldn't leave it out. But I guess I, I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't know, know much about like what would bring a worm surface level or not, but I would say I'm going to put that one in possible, Mike. Mm-hmm. Possible. Okay. Okay. As as much as a rogue Bene Gesserit, possible. <laughs> That's what the worm hunters do. They got their super soakers ready, like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Shadaloon. <laughs> Good God. I'm, that's like a millionaire out there. <laughs> you have a water gun? What? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> what is wrong with you? What a flex. <laughs> and I've never seen a squirt gun that doesn't leak. So. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Paul kind of he whispers to her, keep moving. Don't look back. A grating sound of fury exploded from the rock shadows they had left. It was a flailing avalanche of noise. Because that's that worm, Mike, looking for that bumper as <laughs> yeah. hard as he can. <laughs> what is that? Where is bam, it? Bam, bam, bam. You know, like when you wave like a like a, a frisbee in front of the dog, like, yeah, throw it. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Where? Oh, we know. Yeah. yeah, we definitely know a worm is a dog. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Of like, just very stupid, but very like will strong. Yeah. Uh, he's looking for that thumper. He's looking so hard for that thumper. Um, you better hope you wound that really well. And uh, when this happens, Paul kind of is able to see that they are equidistant from both of the rocks at this point. Oh. So you've hit the point of no return. Right. And the worm's behind you. So we're going far. <laughs> so they keep on. They moved on and on. Muscles reached a stage of mechanical aching that seemed to stretch out indefinitely. But Paul saw that beckoning, beckoning escarpment ahead of them had climbed higher. So I love that. And I don't know if the moon is in front of them or behind them. I would like to think it's in front so that the rock is just a black outcropping that's blocking stars. And that, like that's that what makes, you're seeing kind of like creep up. makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, but certainly could go either way. And I love that he's just been waiting to see this thing. Like, <laughs> it needs to take some sort of parallax shift. So I know we're getting closer to and this they're, goddamn They're not rock. even looking back. They just hear, like, this explosion of sand and fury behind them. Like, just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to look. Uh, <laughs> Shuffle slide, step, stop. This is the most dangerous Michael Jackson dance I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, by two amateurs. Who <laughs> never makes it real? This is <laughs> and I would watch that show. Uh, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> Mike. So, oh, uh, side note of like this does well, this whole chapter reminded me of that. Like this, I think would be like an imperial reality show. <laughs> this, oh god, this is just like naked and afraid, but like on Arrakis of like here the campers go. All they have to do is get to the rock. They have one thumper and a backpack. So like each episode is only like five minutes long. <laughs> You know, it depends. Uh, every now and then you get like a really good, like you drop a gurney down there. Yeah. Of, like, you know, but yeah, when uh, when party shows up, you know, it's going to be a short episode. <laughs> uh, I would watch Naked and Afraid on Arrakis. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> and by naked, we do mean you get a still suit. You get a still suit. We understand. Uh, we scale to the environment. <laughs> and uh, my favorite bit is that Jessica's view through this where... She, she, I don't know where Paul's getting his energy from, but like Jessica is sapped, but mm-hmm. is still able to do this. And she moves in a void of concentration, aware that the pressure of her will alone kept her walking. Like that is gnarly. And you know, her melt is dry. She's drained her cash pockets. She's only had that for days, that gross mm-hmm. acrid water. She, I mean, like it's not even 
I think it's really interesting. It's not just control of her body that she has, like perfect control. Mm-hmm. It's also almost like perfect control of her own will at this point. Yeah. Like it's that's just really good. Extremely disciplined. Uh, and this is someone who won't, won't give up. Won't give up easily. It least. just makes me so angry at everyone that calls the Benny Gesserit witches. It's just like, you have no idea like how much they have to go through. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Mike, they're witches. Uh, <laughs> they're basically... No, they're progenitors. They're basically were, magic. They're progenitors. We're sorceresses. <laughs> yes. But no, I don't. I wouldn't say that they are, okay. by any means. I'm, like, I'm the amount of training and discipline that goes into their upbringing, I think, is just ridiculous. And yet you still think one would go rogue. Yeah, of course, of course I do. <laughs> I have to believe. <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta believe in something. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point of living? But no, I, I think you're dead right, and I like that you've come to appreciate her for her, mm. like her power and what she's. I mean, the, the trials we've seen her go through, let alone to get these kind of abilities, mm. but like to get to this point and still be alive. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, when you have all your friends turn on you. Uh, so there's another frenzy from the worm. And then silence, which that's got to be even worse. Found the thumper. <laughs> yeah, right. Did he? I don't know. Either you half know an hour or like a pile of rubble behind you. Crunch, crunch. Yeah. Oh, God. Getting that thumper. <laughs> so they go faster. Jessica nods to Paul, even though she can't see him. And she realizes that, like, she's really doing this for herself. That action of affirmation. Like, she just needed to do that. It wasn't for Paul at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then uh, we get to see some good old boom sand, Mike. Uh, we talked about this before. The drum, drum sands. So we had some different ideas of what this could mean. We d- Yeah. All wrong, right? All wrong. All wrong, but pretty good. Yeah. We had a good discussion. I think we had some cool ideas, but... We're, well, actually, I would still say I think your logical reason for why it works right, is right, still right. did on. But it definitely has been reaction only to the step that right. it like, hits on and hammers out. And so Paul, he's kind of running and... Um, is it, uh, oh yeah, he, st- he sees this like flat expanse of sand, kind mm. of like we're getting close to that rock escarpment, and he gets up there, because of fatigue, he sort of stumbles onto it, and uh, when he catches himself with his foot, it's on this flat sand, it just goes, mm-hmm. boom, and we get this one thundering out. He sidesteps twice, boom, part boom. Of, part of this, yeah, no, part mm. of this is his own fault, though, like, he, he messed up. Okay, how so? Uh, so they were they were uh, climbing up. They're walking on the stand sand. He stepped onto it and he stumbled in his fatigue, right yeah. himself with an involuntary outthrusting of a foot. And that's when like that the hits. first thrumming sounded. Yeah. Then he takes another then, step. He sort of l- lurches sideways two steps to you know right, I think right. uh, I, balance himself. Oh, see, I thought it was sort of in reaction to that boom of just like what the fuck did I just step on? I don't feel like and lurched like, is a reactionary kind of verb. Okay. I feel like it's more of a just barely like. Uh, making something or accomplishing something. Sure. I see. I'm thinking like he's already off balance and like, oh, I'm not going forward in like you know pivot direction. Right. But I see what you're saying. But he goes sideways and that makes it worse too. Yeah. Does another two. Boom. 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 Oh man. Then he's able to recover. I like that. He, he looks and, around. Here's the worm, and they just fucking run. And Jessica's the one that goes drum sand. She knows what drum sand is. Does everyone just know what drum sand is? Well, she's not. I think she did her homework. She clearly did. She knew what drum sand was. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they must have done something. Because, yeah, she wasn't on, like, was it? Who told us about drum sand before? When did that come up? Was that Kynes? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she wouldn't have been there for that. But I don't know how she would have learned it then. She would have had to have talked to somebody. I don't know. 
But that's interesting that, yeah, you catch that. But none of them know how to, like, visually identify it then. Or at least not in the middle of the night. Because uh, they step on it. They step yeah. on it hard. But that's a good catch, though, that she's the one who kind of yells that out without yeah. uh, needing to be told. He recovers his balance. Yeah, so then he recovers his balance. So, yeah, I definitely think it was completely involuntary going to the like left all as three well. steps. Yeah, all of this was terrible. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Paul okay, messed up. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, yeah. He erred. I just don't want to put the personal blame. I can't, I don't, I'm not going to blame the man for fatigue. <laughs> no, like, I'm not either. That's all I don't want to, I feel like you are. I'm just, I, I accept I'm just you say saying that. Lady Jessica had the will to just. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's all you gotta say. <laughs> Your mom, though, and she's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, there's Get a lot. Get shit together. <laughs> there's a lot more in her column than yours. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, they just start running, but they're not off that boom sand yet. Mm-hmm. So for now, each of them, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Every step they take on that until they hit that pea gravel on the edge, which is like an even worse material in a way, because that's the one that makes you slip and fall. Mm-hmm. Jessica told us that two chapters ago when she mentions like the sand that clogs the filters, right. the pea gravel that makes you slip and the rock flakes that cut you. So now we're on pea gravel uh, and they booking it. Jessica loves this, though, because at least she gets to run like normal. And God, that is so relieving. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> Hilarious for how much more strain that is she's putting. She's yeah. like, mm, I'll take it. I'll take it for a second. Because <laughs> uh, there's the sound of terror behind us. <laughs> Small win, still a win. <laughs> yep. And uh, she ends up kind of stumbling. Paul uh, drags her up and they run on hand in hand the rest of the way. And then it gets this really cool point. So they ran on hand in hand. A thin pole jutted from the sand ahead of them. They passed it. Saw another. Jessica's okay. mind failed to register on the poles until they were passed. There was another wind-etched surface thrust up from a crack in the rock. Another rock. These are, these are these, markers. These are some, po- yeah, marker poles, right? Because yeah. we're going to find out they go all the way up that cliff. Yeah. Love the, like, they don't even see it in the heat of the moment going past Oof, it. You got how, more how concerning did, pressures. Yeah, definitely. How did you feel reading it, though, on your like first way through? Well, I mean, I knew they had to be like man-made or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been told that uh, the Fremen would find them somehow. I I don't know. I just I knew it had to be some sort of Fremen marker, and they know the okay. Fremen are nearby because at the rock that they're on right now, or just previously a few minutes ago, yeah, like had it an- had anchor marks exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I guess then uh, I'm not looking for you to say like exactly what they're for, but I guess I want to know like yeah, did you think it's like a good omen or a bad omen? I think it's a good it? omen. Yeah, I like it. Uh, ooh, even even knowing how the chapter ends, yes, and I'll, <laughs> we'll get there in a sec. Yeah, okay. So, uh, where the dunes began, perhaps 50 meters away at the foot of the rock beach, a silver gray curve broached from the desert, sending rivers of sand and dust cascading all around. It lifted higher, resolved into a giant questing mouth. It was round. It was a round black hole with edges glistening in the moonlight. That's our mega world. Oh, so good. Because, um... This point, like they've they've hit the rock, and Paul and Jessica are in like a little crevasse, and mm-hmm. Paul like shoves Jessica. She's like, "I'm tired," and he's like, "Boom, slam you in there!" And they're like, <laughs> "We're going." Puts himself in front of her again, though, and uh, then that worm comes up, and it the mouth snaked toward the narrow crack where Paul and Jessica huddled. Cinnamon yelled in their nostrils. Moonlight flashed from crystal teeth. Back and forth, the great mouth wove. Paul stilled his breathing. Oh. Jessica crouched, staring. They are face to face with God right now. Yeah, pretty much. You know, this old man of the desert. And like, 
Cinnamon yelled in their nostrils. I love that. That's such a good way of writing that. But does that not, uh, you know, Worm Theory? Then perk a little Worm Theory? Need? Okay, I've had some Worm Theory. I, mean, uh, I need to get a little theme song for Worm Theory. <laughs> Punch it in. Yeah, it's like a nightly news. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, let's go through. There's one more paragraph of like the other stuff in its mouth, and then we can talk some worm real quick okay, uh, okay. before we move on past this here. So Jessica is using every trick in the book to keep her primal fears in check. Mm-hmm. She just feels like that <laughs> overwhelming, and it's it's every Benny Gesserit ability she has. There's not enough magic in the litany for this. <laughs> yeah. But Paul, conversely, is feeling a kind of elation. Yeah, that's a gnarly sentence. Like that really strikes you when you just read that one sentence. The explanation that follows is mm. very thorough and I appreciate. But like the, putting those one after the other leaves you like, whoa, what the hell is going on with Paul? But Paul, uh, in some recent instant, he had crossed a time barrier into more unknown territory. He could sense the darkness ahead. Nothing revealed to his inner eye. It was as though some step he had taken had plunged him into a well or into the trough of a wave where the future was invisible. The landscape had undergone a profound shifting. Now, I wonder if that has to do with like the spice itself and the connection of spice to the worms in the same way that the navigators uh, and Paul can't really see each other because of prescience. Mm -hmm. I wonder if maybe the worms have some sort of similar function and that's why he can't exactly see what's going on here. That you don't think you can see a worm? Well, I mean, is that kind of what you mean? Maybe. Yeah, just know. to clarify, I don't really understand I mean, what he you're... hasn't told us that he's seen a worm yet. So he, uh, he has. Wait, when? Uh, every when he looks into um, the future for like what the hook is for. Yeah, he knows he should respect it. He knows it's for something, but he. But he you no, know, he says like there. I'm just saying there are two worm related things. He knows he should respect the worm and not fear the worm right. because. And then those mind won't no, tell no, but, him. No, but my point is, you can't see it directly. You can see things around it or feelings around it, but you can't exactly see it uh, that yeah, okay, I've okay, seen okay. so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's where I got to put the caveat of like, yeah, he does as like Frank. Conveniently, that's the plot device working. We're like, oh, but he doesn't know how they work. He can't see it. But like you you can see worms in your prescient vision. Oh, okay. But like we just can't because Frank doesn't want to tell us how the goddamn maker hooks work. <laughs> yeah. That re- goddamn you, Frank. <laughs> Frank is out to get you. I am... I don't even know what you would do. How deep do the worms uh, go? Do they go like really like hundreds of feet down? Uh, I would say anywhere there's soil. So not down past bedrock. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I figured that much. Because mm-hmm. it, seem, it seems like they're always really close to the surface and sort of like uh, almost like a, a shark fin kind of deal. Always able to sort of uh, create a, uh, a crest of sand. Yeah. So that cresting is always when they come up to investigate a sound. And then it seems like any other time they would go a little bit lower. And then maybe you wouldn't see that. But at the same time, uh, you might be you might be dead on it. It might always be about that level. Okay. And that's just when they've come close enough to you and that they because they go for kilometers, you know, like they have big areas that they're occupying. So that could be like kind of separate from it. What are you thinking right now? I know it's embarrassing, so I'm not going to say it. It's a really dumb one. Uh, no, we'll save it for another time. Okay. <laughs> Let me think about it more before I completely sound like a dumbass. Polish up that turn a little bit. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this goes on with, uh, instead of frightening him, the sensation of time darkness forced a hyper acceleration of his other senses. He found himself registering every available aspect of the thing that lifted from the sand there seeking him. Its mouth was some 80 meters in diameter. Crystal teeth with curved shape of Chris knives glinting around the rim. Bellows, breath of cinnamon. Subtle aldehydes. Acids. Ooh. 
That's sort of, I think, kind of familiar to what uh, Kinds had told us about the acids in them. Mm-hmm. Can, well, they'd have to have some, if they eat, like, carryalls and shit, like... Oh, yeah. It's you gotta a, break it down. It's a molten furnace yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, you'll usually uh, have, like, a description of the red glow, like, oh. deep inside of it. Like, oh, I've seen pictures with, like, a sort of a glow. Yeah, that's, that's its internal factory that running. Sense. Yeah, that thing is a beast. Um, but uh, I guess the only thing I wanted to point out here is just that, that profound connection of cinnamon, spice, and worms. Hmm. Because that breath, that cinnamon smell is coming from the worm's breath. Yeah, so th- the the spice has to be like some sort of byproduct from their biology. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like something they excrete, whether it's something that they break down into after death. I like it. So it could be worm poop or dead worms. Yep, that's yep. what I got so far. Yep. I also suggested the idea that the spice was like the water of the worms. It's like they're like in their blood or saturated in their blood in some facet. Ooh, okay. That worms bleed, right? Haven't seen one cut yet. Okay, that's fair. Yep. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Because, oh, because they can't, they're not water-based organisms. They can't have water. Traditional H2O just, like, is poisonous to them, right? It is poisonous to them. So then maybe, like, some sort of weird spice saturation thing is what their blood is instead. Okay. I, I really like the idea of, uh, you substitute, since, like, you know the water's poisonous, yeah. saying that, like, the spice is the water to the worm. Yeah. Like, that's a really neat idea and mm-hmm. a concept. Uh but because though, you're saying that now, I feel like it's wrong. I mean, I'm always going to offer you the cancer puppy. Mark. I'm going to encourage you to take this one home. Take this one. Name him. You know, no, I want to give you as much as I can. I obviously, I don't ever want to tell you what's going to mm-hmm. happen, but we're getting so close to some oh. answers. So Paul notes that cinnamon smell, and he recalls that kinds kinds betrayed something to this effect. But you know, he bottled up right after. It was at that dinner scene. Kinds got real excited, mm-hmm. real close. It was in that thopter. Kinds got real excited, real close. Right, right, right. Kinds, he's a very easy uh, nut to crack if you know what to say. Um, but he never let it slip out in those public settings. And Paul can't really bring it up in his uh, prescient knowledge right now. Uh, doesn't matter though, because at this point, there's a sound like dry thunder. That just cracks, ba boom. Because remember, we're still staring down the barrel of this uh, worm, and it's like pressing against the rocks. Yeah. You know, it scrapes some off, and the dust comes down on them. Like they are oh. right next to this guy, but it shudders again. And then the worm is like, ooh, oh. he backs off a little bit. I'm just like, D- is that Thumper back? Is that, thump- is that the Thumper? <laughs> and then <laughs> a, th- <laughs> a Thumper starts and the worm goes. And what I love in that, this because we've been describing it as a dog and getting mm. so excited, it says that like it shudders when it burrows away. That is like the excitement. I feel <laughs> yeah. like, it's the Thumper! The tail's wagon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's totally what I took that as, <laughs> as it burrows away. And it's just like, it's happy as can be. And uh, Paul kind of, he's even able to like emerge out and watch that worm go. I'm just like, what the hell happened? <laughs> just, this has been the weirdest couple days of my life. Oof. It's followed by a thumper. The worm is immediately entered back off. Then the sound stops after mm-hmm. it goes away a little bit. So it's just enough to take it off and the sound's gone. That was a lot faster than his It thumper. seems like it was very intentional. Yes, and very. Paul, they suggest what what happened. Someone called it Fremen. Like, did they save us? It's like, no, maybe it's probably something for their own benefit. But it seems too precise and exact to be like a coincidence. Right. Well, specifically, he says like, well, it was they used a thumper. So it was Fremen. It was Fremen. Yeah, right. right. And then like, yeah, he doesn't understand why, though. She says, like, why would they help us? It's like, maybe they weren't. Maybe they're just calling a worm. Yeah, I like that. The and that, that again, I'm just like, like, why would you call a worm? You well, like yeah, distract the worm. Then he comes back. Why? An answer lay poised at the edge of his awareness, but refused to come. 
He had vision in his mind, something to do with the telescoping barbed sticks in their packs. Oh my god. The maker hooks. Why would they call a worm? Jessica asked. Okay. Okay, wait, we're going, stop it. We're going back to worm theory. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. <laughs> we're done. No. All right, so you need, all right, the thumper is used to call a worm. <laughs> You're off to, this is usually where I cut you off, but I'm going to start <laughs> no. like that. Thumper is used to call a worm. So you need the worm for something, and that's something you need the hooks for as well. Mm-hmm. My, okay. Yeah. So my idea earlier was, I, I felt it was kind of silly and dumb, but like, I don't know what else it's going to be for, because you can't fish for a worm. Certainly so not. You can't. Like trap a worm with tiny little like four foot. He basically is a big fork. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a big fork. Um, have you ever played um, Bioshock Infinite? Uh, yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's a really great game if anyone hasn't played it. But um, they've got like a little device where it's like almost like a gauntlet and it's got a couple prongs that are like spinning hooks. And what you do is you traverse this city in the sky with it. And it's got by, the, like the sky rail. It's like a little sky rail. Yeah. So you like hook, jump onto it and hook it and then you sort of like ride it. Can you like. Uh, Basically catch a ride with a worm if it's on the surface and just be like, don't mind me. And like, well, if you poke it, it would notice you're poking it. So I never mind. Yeah, right up until then you poke the bear. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> never mind. That doesn't work. That, oh, I, I thought it was really cool. Though. <laughs> you were, you were, you were, you had me going with you for a little bit. <laughs> Uh, until like it's, you gotta stop me from talking because at some point I'm always gonna talk myself no, out. Of it. it's, that's what I don't see my incentive to stop you. <laughs> I don't understand like case you just understand. made. Okay, we're done. Never All mind. Right. Continue. Uh, I like it, but yeah, I, you ran into the very obvious. You're like an off-worlder trying to learn Fremen without being taught Fremen. <laughs> you, I don't think you would do terrible in a desert, Mike. You would be okay. Uh, I'd, I'd make it to season two of Naked and Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, bring, we bring you back. <laughs> or you're the guy we check in on because we lost him. I'm like, like, oh, we man. Go find Mike again. Um, all right. We may, we may continue. Yes. Yeah. So um, where did I even leave off? I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I just, uh, when you stopped me, I think I hit the scroll thing. On my Why note. would they call a worm? Jessica asked. Yeah. So fear touched his mind. Paul tells her about the... Uh, eventually just about the poles that mark the way up the cliff. Mm-hmm. Like he sort of changes the topic altogether. Uh, and it's just like, look, I think these lead all the way up. And Jessica, she takes a moment to get ready. Like, I think Paul even starts off walking towards them and she needs to just take a breather real quick. Yeah. She needs to get her bearings back. Uh, they just had a worm encounter. It's a pretty stressful moment. Yeah, pretty stressful. And it's Paul that actually points out the poles too. So he was right. aware of them when they were running. Uh, yeah, yeah. If uh, she hasn't taken register of them yet, but it, more so, oh. he's telling her like they go up the like up, right, right, and like there's a path he thinks that will lead that uh, we should follow and mm-hmm. keep going with them. But uh, yeah, when they first came jutting up, like I wasn't immediately clear that it would be marking a path from the beginning of the mm-hmm. rock area they came up with. Right. Uh, and so this thing goes up uh, into a along a narrow ledges, and uh, they end up walking in like complete darkness eventually, with just sort of like this gap above them, right mm-hmm. from like the ledge, and. Uh, Paul, I think he only has, like, your foot is about the width of what you're walking on. And you're sort of, like, shuffling through. And you got to do this completely blind. So he's just, like, tapping with a foot. Make sure it's sand. Make sure it's solid. And then move your second foot and go. And mm-hmm. then Jessica moves behind. So it's slow, tedious progress. I mean, yeah, climbing a mountain in the dark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No lights. Yeah. And, they, and they make a point of saying, like, I would love a light, but we can't use anything here. Um they uh, they look just because they're still like wary of Harkonnens on patrol or just anybody. I th- I think uh, yeah of just like uh, I would even put it like more of a supreme caution. I feel like they're exercising the same caution those Fremen or the Zensuni did. 
Okay. Just like no matter what, we don't let our guard down anymore. Like we're done with that kind of life. Right. We are always on alert. Doesn't matter who we think could be following us. We will assume they're right behind us mm-hmm. uh, and act accordingly. So uh, Jessica, though, in response to Paul asking like, oh, it'd be great if you had a light. She tells him like, we have other senses and eyes. I love that. They yeah. definitely do. And she just, just yesterday, we went over hand training. So, yeah. <laughs> Paul, you better remember this or else we're going back in the tent and we'll, we'll do foot training today Paul, if we need pop to. Pop quiz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so Paul is flying the way. They even go around like a corner and then Paul has to like grab her robe and sort of like pull her through it. Because mm-hmm. again, they're also being like rather silent too. Like there isn't uh, a casual conversation. It's just right, like right. only the necessary words. Well, they're using the ears as one of those senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the primary ones, yeah. I think, in the darkness. It's like that and the smells. Um, and so eventually as they're it's just going up to the top and Paul thinks it will lead all the way, it narrows to about a person's width. And then it opens into a 20 meter defile. Uh, and then that's going to open up into a basin. Mm-hmm. But I want to pause here for a little entomology lesson, Mike. Defile. Etymology. Well, I can't do that word, Mike. I can entomology only, is I, study I can insects. only do one word at a time. So we're doing the insect study of this. <laughs> okay. What do I need to say? Etymology. Etymology. What did There's I no say? Entomology. What am I? I'm adding an N. You're at an M. Ah, yeah, yeah. Entomology is insects. Yeah, yeah, Etymology yeah. is like uh, word structure totally. and roots. That, so that's like a lot of where I make up names and fantasy, but that's that I feel, same process. You, I feel like you've been doing that for several episodes. I've been doing that for this whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Etymology. I've never even read this book. Oh, oh God. <laughs> you've just been really lucky guessing. <laughs> yeah, really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because uh, I was like, defile, I don't know that as a rock term. Mm. So I want to look it up because obviously I know it is like uh, to desecrate kind of thing would be like how I would think of defile. Right. Right. So this, though, comes from two French words. OK. De and file. All right. Of the column. And it's about oh. it's about people mark literally troops going in single file. That makes sense. Because this gorge narrows you down, okay. so you have to go single file. So it was like an area where you're like your troops would have to go through like a, um, a, a narrow gorge or passage. Requiring uh, troops to march in a single file. So I love that. Of column. And like a column of soldiers. Mm-hmm. So this is really neat. And uh, sort of like, oh, really two different words that just had the same exact spelling and pronunciation almost. Yeah. But their meanings are completely different. They that come, is actually really cool, Come though. from different areas. Yeah. So I love that. And that really clean, cleared that up for like what the Yeah, it's just like, why are you saying this word here? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, what is this then? And why does why don't we just say opens to a basin? I really appreciate that because I did not catch that. I was just like, eh. Yeah, I'll figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I think that also I feel makes like this, uh, hold up, uh, it's kind of like a defensive structure perhaps. Mm-hmm. So if some oh. invade, yeah, we know who's going to be in this basin. And if you were going to have an enemy force come up, I'd rather them come up one by one through that hole. Right. That 20 meter long 300 hole style. Where I can yeah. just throw stunner pellets down mm-hmm. all day long. But what were you just going to say? Look like you had a thought. Oh, uh, the, like the primary sin of this book is to be like, oh, I'll go back and check that out later. <laughs> if you do that with everything that like brings up that thought, you'll get through the book and be like, wait, what was this No, about? I mean, if anything, I think that's why a lot of people don't get through the book. I think that's why we're doing this podcast, right? <laughs> so that they can do that. Yeah, and I mean, even we still end up going half of them. Oh, yeah. I'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think we've come back to about a quarter of those. So there's a depreciation here that uh, <laughs> can't, can't be ignored. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, this, uh, this defile mm-hmm. opens into a basin. And the basin, oh my God, despite all the weariness in the world, every event we've been through for the, the last weeks, the past months, 
they stop and are awestruck by what they see. And this place is just a veritable, like, relative to the outside, a Garden mm. of Eden. Uh, to us, it probably is like a pretty scrabbly looking bush area of just like, these plants are about to die. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody watered these? There's so um, many here, though. Yeah. Paul says, like a fairyland. And Jessica kind of nods. Spreading away in front of her stretch desert growth. Bushes, cacti, tiny clumps of leaves, all trembling in the moonlight. The ring walls were dark to her left, moon frosted on her right. Who is the Harkonnen that uh, was uh, his entire family killed? He went in exile, changed his name, became an arms dealer. Uh, Rock Karn. Rock Karn. Right. Yep. Right. Um, I, I just I see the parallel here of now this uh, this other Harkonnen heir is his house destroyed. No, no one's gonna come for him. He's being hunted. He's alone. Gonna have to change his name, yeah, probably to something yeah. Moadib. Who knows? That's a pretty good. That's a pretty rock, good one. From what I rock Karn and the Moadib, <laughs> they could they could they could rock together. <laughs> new, uh, new interstellar rock band. Instead of selling arms, I think he's got a new idea. He's gonna go the Walt Disney route, and he's going to establish Fairyland here. In the <laughs> he's gonna build. Fair- we could build Fairyland. <laughs> Fairyland. Here. Have an animated worm as your main character. Yeah, I mean, I think the Fremen are all about bringing outsiders in. That's, uh, that's like their, <laughs> yeah, their should, shtick, right? Should be good. <laughs> that's what they're known for? I think it's going to be great. <laughs> this is how he's going to get back into the Imperium. It's got real potential. Screw his other plan. <laughs> oh, but Paul, looking at this, all he says is, this must be a Fremen place. And Jessica concurs, like, yeah, people need to be here to water this. Like, yeah. There are a lot of plants here. And uh, she drinks her water. Paul just kind of looks around. And he notices some movement out of the corner of his eye. It sort of catches his attention right quick. Little mouse? Little, a couple little mouses. Like some little Moadibs hopping around. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they'd heard it, right? They heard some like sand shuffling. They heard like insects and... Yeah, they hear they hear a lot of like life in this uh, little yeah. alcove. Yeah, right? Uh, Do I the think, mice make sound? Uh, What? Beyond their hopping? Yeah. It's sort of like just a hop-hop pitter-patter mm-hmm. uh, that I think uh, they use in the text to describe it. Uh, and then looking at it, all of a sudden, they hear a shriek, a little, oh. and a bird of prey comes down to sign that kills one of the mice, and it flies off with it. And God, I love Jessica, because she just looks at it and goes, that was the reminder we needed. Or we needed, <laughs> she, we needed that reminder, <laughs> Jessica like, thought. That's right. She's like, yeah, a little, a little cold water on the face to like bring it back to reality. So put a like, pin on Fairyland for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring that back to the drawing board later. <laughs> you just fold that plan up. Like, I never get to talk about Fairyland. The ghost of Leto giving them a grim reminder. <gasps> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, don't. Okay, I mean, this to me goes back. Um, to that night the don't go soft uh, line yeah like even in this moment that was too much t- they were too soft right yeah there. you spent too much time admiring this like no it is life or death every second of mm-hmm. it and uh paul looks around and like with the screech of that mouse dying everything like the insects go silent the rest of the animals stop moving and that whole basin is just nothing and in that moment, Paul kind of can like hear the sound from the light. Mm. He says he can hear the moon flowing over the moonlight flowing over the rocks. And there's sort of like a beautiful humming unlike any music he's ever heard. Just like, ah, oh, you're probably itching to tell Gurney about this then. I'm like, or at least the one person I would yeah. expect to appreciate it. And uh, so Paul says, like, look, we better find a place to pitch the tent. Tomorrow we can find the Fremen who, and he's cut off. So from up above, mm-hmm. most intruders here regret finding the Fremen. Oh, dun, dun. Dude, this surprised me so much. <laughs> it should. A heavy masculine voice chopping across his words, shattering the moment. The voice came above from above them and to the right. 
Please do not run, intruders, the voice said. Paul made to withdraw into the defile. <laughs> Ooh, so that means he's going back out of the basement, yeah, or the basin, or, rather, into that 20-meter stretch. Yeah, uh, he was going to. And you hear the last thing of, if you run, you'll only waste your body's water. So, did you take that as a threat? I didn't. You didn't? No. Even, even off initially? Well, no, okay, so I read this a couple of weeks. When I read this initially, I didn't think it was a threat. I'm very but proud But when of I you. listened to the audiobook, it... It sounded very intimidating, especially with Jessica's next thought, like, oh, my God, they're going to take us for our water. Well, hey, but of course she colors it that way. She does color she it that gets, way. She's but, here to give us that off-world perspective. But I am proud that you, you, I think you read that perfectly the first time. That one is not a threat. No. That is just good, solid advice. I'm just <laughs> like, because to me, that means, like, we're not here to hurt you. Mm-hmm. You're just going to, like, work yourself up for nothing. I think his voice is just intimidating, no matter how... Like what he says. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because we know this is Stilgar. Yeah. We're going to find out at the end. And like, we've met him before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a hard guy. This is the guy that looking the Duke in the eye doesn't give up an inch. Yeah. And if anything, Leto gave He's him a little He's got one bit. vibe and it's naive. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. I got one setting. <laughs> <laughs> you always go full naive. <laughs> um... So I'm glad you caught that. And then Jessica, like I said, she's going to be our eyes and ears and immediately goes like, they're trying to kill us and take our water. Like, that's all they want. I didn't I didn't think that until she said it. And then I was thinking maybe she's just been watching too much Mad Max. Just a little Fury Road. Yeah, in just a little too much Fury Road there. And uh, I, just, I don't think I think that's just a total misread of the situation. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's the Imperium's. Uh, perception of the Fremen in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, that's kind of how they look on, they don't know what goes on in the desert, how this works. Right. Kyle, though, is really, I think his interaction colored this the most for me of how clear, like, water was the word that he wanted to use, yeah. right? Like, that has so much weight. That's got a lot of weight behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, they don't ever bandy it around too easily. Uh, but I like that she gives us this kind of idea because it is like it's good to color that in for the it, end of the chapter. It almost it's like uh, finding someone with like a knife in their thigh and be like, "Don't move! You're just gonna make things worse." Just yeah. like you'll hang bleed on for a, a lot. Yeah. I'm like, "Whoa, he's gonna bleed me out!" <laughs> no, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, when Jessica though, so she uh, she hears this. I love it. She goes full beast mode and is like. Bene Gesserit on. The stress, mm-hmm. the fatigue, gone. Yeah, she yeah, is yeah. fully ready for battle. I bet this probably comes at a huge cost. Of like, oh, I think when she's done, she's yeah. going to collapse. <laughs> like, you're just out. Like, this is, yeah. You are forcing all the adrenaline in your body. She <laughs> locks onto the voice. She knows exactly where he is right now. Mm-hmm. She's got an idea of how many people are in this defile with her. Yep. And she realizes like such stealth only allowed the small noises, the natural noises. And in that, I bet she just played back the last, like, you know, uh, like 10 minutes minutes and be like, when did they show up? But I think she found them all. Like, I bet she was like... Oh, do you think that sifting sand was them? No, no, when the worm was like... No, 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 like it says, like, the noises they hit heard were like... A chirp oh. of an insect, a spill of sand. Yes, that'll get you. think you. the spill of sand would have been that? Uh, it was, well, it was either that or that hawk coming, jump, you know, going off rock right. coming down. But I think you are right. It could have totally oh, been that. Man. And what I was going to say is that I think she plays it back and notices all that stuff that's like, wait, that wasn't, you know, what I thought oh. it was. That wasn't. That was these people moving around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how she's able to like lock where they are right now and know exactly beyond like just him and the voice. So, uh, I'm going to read the, the last three uh, of yeah, our going yeah, out yeah. paragraphs here because it's sort of like them all coming together, but we will uh, touch back on it if you have any questions yeah, yeah. or want to bring anything oh, up. Oh, we will. <laughs> yeah. Another voice called from the basin's rim to their left. Make it quick still. Get their water and let's be on our way. We have a little enough time before dawn. 
Paul, less conditioned to emergency response than his mother, felt chagrin that he had stiffened and tried to withdraw, that he had clouded his abilities by a momentary panic. He forced himself now to obey her teachings, relax, then fall into the semblance of relaxation, then into the arrested whip-snap of muscles that can slash in any direction. Oh! Still, he felt the edge of fear within him and knew its source. This was blind time, no future he had seen, and they were caught between wild Fremen whose only interest was the water carried in the flesh of two unshielded bodies. That's where our chapter finishes off. So, obviously, my first question is, do you have any, any thoughts on the second voice? That one, I take as a threat. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I was trying to interpret how it couldn't be. Yeah. Because, um, obviously, we know it's Stilgar. Yeah. And we know that Stilgar is sort of like, he's not a bad person. Although, then again, if we know how Leah Kynes is with his, uh, his calls back to the, the CH... Solgar has always got things on voicemail. Yeah, yeah, a little spotty <laughs> yeah. sometimes. But uh, I, I feel going. like Kynes would have gotten word to um, Stilgar. So, well, okay. I want to push back like, of like, if you're reading in this in a positive, uh, how is yeah, like... You go you go the negative route. I'll go the positive route. Well, Let's I, like, I want to go to get to like, how is get their water any positive? Even with all the inflections of Fremen that we know. Do you think... Uh, Do you think it's possible that they uh, came prepared with uh, later Johns of some water for them, not knowing if they would be able to have proper water discipline if they were meant to try and find them? Like the Fremen brought them water? Yeah, like a, like a small like uh, later John. Sure. And but just saying like, get their water. Like, let's hurry oh, this up. We got to go. Okay. We're burning nighttime here. Oh, oh, dude. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. I, yeah, you're saying he's talking to someone, another Fremen. I'm like, get their water that we brought for them. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. we're such nice guys. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it didn't say take their water. It said get their water. I, I like that. Um, what's that, uh, you know that like parody horror movie where like the guy is trying to save the kids, but he always looks like he's killing all the teenagers? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's uh, what this feels like. Yeah. We're like, we're just trying to give them water. Like Tucker and Dale Tucker versus and, evil. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, they're just trying to give them water. <laughs> like That's all they want to do. Yeah. And these people are ready to murder the Fremen, <laughs> thinking they're coming for their water. Right. So it's just a big misunderstanding. Like, <laughs> I love that. Can someone else get their water and let's be on our way. I, oh man, that might actually even be correct. <laughs> that's the worst. That's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst part. I hope so. You really might be great. <laughs> Bravo, dude. <laughs> that's kind of what I took away from it. Because I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back the curtain a little bit and tell you that, like, yeah, they're not here to steal their water. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately. Because uh, that is Stilgar. Yeah. He's got Kind's message. That, see, I figured. But we don't know exactly what Kind said yet. True. The all we know is that they, you know, like sun's coming up soon. We got to get going, yep. like yep. hurry it along. Love it. But uh, I think Jessica read into incorrectly. Paul, I think, is also reading Jessica and being like, oh, 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 time to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think he's also sort of uh, at this point without mm. that prescience, he's lagging behind. Jessica is ahead of him now. Oh, yeah. We're like, not only is he relying on her, but it's like false information stacked onto. He's more worried about his panic right now. 
Right. And it's like, you shouldn't even be having that thought right now. True. But that needs to be disregarded to approach the present. And uh, I mean, it does say he forced his body to obey uh, teachings, relax, fall into a semblance of relaxation, then into the arrested whip snap of muscles that could slash in any direction. So be prepared. Like you said, like, you know, we're never going to be like uh, taking it easy from now on. We're always mm-hmm. going to like assume someone's right behind us with a knife. Yeah. I think that totally makes sense. But uh, the last part says this was blind time. No future he'd ever seen. That's what he's afraid of. And they were caught between wild Fremen, whose only interest was the water carried in the flesh of two unshielded bodies. Didn't That statement doesn't necessarily say they're going to kill them. It just says that he knows that the Fremen are worried about the water in their bodies. Okay, wait, wait. I'm just saying. That one is too far. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. With Paul's inflection of it, I think that's too far. I give you totally the first one. You read that Fremen dead on. I think Paul is going to be looking at this from, like, Jessica's angle okay. at this point. Okay. Um... That's and fine. Because That's he fine. says, like, in their flesh. Otherwise, like, who cares about anything? Um, but I, I like it. I like it. That's that a great chapter. Yeah. It's really exciting. All over the place. We're finally, like, moving away from the desert being our only enemy. We have a couple enemies now. Yeah. Um, we're back to dealing with people. <laughs> well, not Shia Our worm is a friend. Our worm is a friend. As long as we don't do any break dancing on the sands. <sighs> that is, that, that, is that was really good. Um, Derek, my glass is empty. I think... It's time that we refill, and I got something to talk about. What? what are you, yeah, I'll grab the bottle here for yeah, you. Thank you. Take, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as you know, we partnered with Audible recently, which is yes, really awesome. Did. Yeah, that's been really fun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, sorry, guys. I know no one likes ads on podcasts, but what helps keep the lights on a little bit here and there. Keep the suspenser buoys. Keep the suspenser <laughs> buoys. <laughs> So right now we partner with Audible. They're offering a free 30-day trial to our listeners when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. And with that, you get one credit that you can use on one of thousands of titles that they have, like Dune. That was my mm-hmm. first audiobook, and I've gotten several since then. That was your first one ever? That was my first one yeah, ever. That's really cool. Yeah. That's the perfect one, too. I know. And, uh, Mike, if you get Amazon Prime, though, you can get two credits. You get two of them. That can be two books of your... You can get Dune Messiah with your oh, Dune. Oh, yeah, get a little ahead of the game. Certainly. And what's great about that, too, is at the end of 30 days, they give you a little courtesy email, ask if you're still interested. That's real. Yeah. I, I hate services where, like, they are banking on you forgetting. Like, what yeah. day was it that I signed up? And it yeah. goes right past. And then, like, you're, you look at your bank. It's like, no, they got me. You're like, yep, I guess I got this service so, for another yeah, month. Yeah, they'll give you a little courtesy email. And then, you know, if you don't like it, you can just say, no, I'm cool. It's fine. But you still get to keep your books. Yeah, all the credits you spent, guys, even that free book, like, you get that book for life. Yeah. That's awesome. And their app is free. It, t- it keeps your place no matter what platform you're using, whether it's computer, phone, you name it. What book are you listening to right now? Right now, I am in the middle of Cat's Cradle. Ooh, oh, for yeah. a little at work book club. Yeah, a little at work. We were going to do a little book club uh, together at work, and then no one ended up doing it. I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know why you brought it up. I got the book, and I, you know, I yep. was going to give it a fair shake. And you know, once you get to a certain uh, apex, I think in any book, it becomes a roller coaster ride. And like, <laughs> we're we're currently going into the tropics on a roller coaster, Derek. Awesome. Awesome. We know you guys understand the value of a good book. You're reading Dune. You love it. We're going to help you get another one for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Gotta love visiting audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. I love spiceworldpod. How we do an audible? Is this good? <laughs> so good. Um, mm. But uh, I got wine now. You got one? I yeah. Got, I got a deep dive ready to go. Tell Mike. me about your deep dive. Oh, Mike. Well, so I told, I didn't want to tell you before. Uh, you'd asked me of like trying to get it. I'm like, no, Mike, I got to set this up because I'm doing a deep dive according to how the chapter ended. Oh. If you don't remember, a certain guy goes, still, 
So I was like, well, might as well do steel suits. Might as well oh, do a steel pen. <laughs> I was going to do a steel guard. No. You had me fooled. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing steel stuff. Okay. Steel stuff. Steel stuff with Derek. <laughs> Welcome to the steel stuff corner. So I, I'm going to start with the steel. T- Ooh, I'm going to let you choose. You want to do a steel suit or steel tent first? Steel suit. Okay, let's go down to the steel suit. So, steel suit, we glossed over this when we did the initial chapter. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's fine. We're going to touch bases and come back. We're, right. we're guaranteed. We're going to wear another steel suit. Right, right. Day. So, when steel suits first came around, they were an invention of necessity. So, this Ooh. is when the Zen Sunni nomads were transported to Arrakis. That was when we were like, we should probably make a steel suit. Uh, this place sucks. <laughs> and... We, if you recall, they were on another desert planet. Yeah. It was not it, Ishia. Like, helped Ooh. prep them for it. Yeah, exactly. But even when they were on Ishia, like, um, water con- conservation wasn't so essential there that, like, it was fatal if you didn't adhere to it. <laughs> you could potentially, if you had a lot of water, you could survive on Ishia, like, out Just, like, the, chilling on the sand. Chilling on the sand. Yeah, like, you know, you would need egregious amounts of water, mm-hmm. but it, it's still physically possible. That's not true on Arrakis. Oh. Like, you could have a river before you and you're done after a day because it gets so high and just wow. is a ridiculous environment. So when they uh, moved here, everything they faced changed that. And they were able to approach it pretty scientifically. They really went to it um, and adapting to their new environment. So the fabric itself is what makes the suit really effective. And ultimately, it's called steel cloth. That I didn't know. That was kind of new. Steel cloth. It's sort of like uh, back when Apple had I in front of everything. And they just (laughs) didn't know what else to do. It's still. And then whatever you is that you make from steel cloth. It's just it. I'm just trying to imagine Steve Jobs wearing a steel suit now. That's pretty. I mean, is, is, it, is the turtleneck really that different? I guess. Change the material. He just needed the plug. He the might have been wearing yeah. a steel suit that whole time. So uh, the invention is sort of a tribute to the Fremen's ability to cross-use technology. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they've been through so many places and so many hardships. And they're always the labor force that is dropped with, like, a bunch of machinery to get some shit done. Mm-hmm. They remember all of it because they have that ancestral memory to rely right, on. And be right. like, hey, go back to that, like, machine we were using. How did that work? And they'll tell them. And, like, they can rebuild it or repurpose it. So the Zensuni had been used as laborers. Um, and throughout the wandering, they'd retained all that knowledge of those various devices. One such machine was a cryogenic separator. Okay. Yeah. So cold and separates things, or separates cold things, one of the two. Maybe uh, both. Separates with cold. Oh, there you, you go. got all the pieces there, yeah. <laughs> and this had been used on a number of worlds for drawing oxygen and other gases from a planet's atmosphere. Oh, okay. So basically, they have an understanding of like how a compressor system works and like a refrigerator or okay. anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of process. So they're like, oh, we got this. And uh, so I could say cryogenic separation, it involves the cooling of acid gases to very low temperatures so that like CO2 can be liquefied and separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then an acid gas is any gas that like when liquefied would be an acidic solution. Just to like clarify that out for you. So the Fremen, they remember all these techniques and they use it to manufacture steel cloth. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, they apply it to the manufacture of steel cloth. Because mm-hmm. like basically the steel cloth is going to use that technique within it. So you're not using cryogenic separators to make steel cloth. Steel cloth is a cryogenic separator. Gotcha. Okay. It's how like the whole suit functions. So the fabric is a micro sandwich uh, in its completed form. So it's like five layers all stacked up, and they all do a very different job. The innermost layer is a porous membrane, and it allows for perspiration, exhaled moisture, and other bodily secretions. (laughs) Disgusting. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> to just like seep out through it, right? Okay. This provides you excellent insulation so that you are not going to be um, kind of chilled from the evaporation. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to bring you down too much. We're going to keep you nice and even level. Right, right, You're right. not going to get the shivers. And uh, the next two layers accomplish the separation of reusable water. Okay. So we got to pull out the salt. We got to pull out the ammonia. Yeah, get the good stuff. Exactly. Get that H2O to that one layer. Uh, and then a complex series of fine tubes permeate the fabric. And there are a couple sets of tubes, too. Because, mm-hmm. like, the clean water, potable water, has yeah. its own system. The pumping system is, like, a whole other thing. Because the air that's circulating through and moving the water. Right. Um, and then the ammonia from your urine is actually going to go through a whole nether system. Uh, yeah, and go through okay. it. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Uh, and um, there are check valves at various points. And these basically prevent any backflow. So things are always going in the right direction. Okay. So you can never have it like leak down or go in an opposite way. And that lets you do like branchings too and maintain mm-hmm. the same pressure right. equal throughout the system. Right. So when you start off your suit, these tubes originally contain air at the beginning of the cycle. And the air pressure builds up by the pumping action from your breathing, uh, from your chest growing and shrinking with each breath. Mm-hmm. That is a pressure. And then your foot pedal, you know where it says on the heel, you have uh, some sort of pressure plate. Yeah, that like Paul knows about that the desert style is made to optimize gets that going. So it's always going to breathe better at a preset pressure, which varies depending on atmospheric conditions. The air is released from a holding chamber and it goes into your hood. Oh, so your hood, it's got to blow blow up. up. Yeah, I think you become like a little bubble head for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the point of that, Mike, that's the compressor action working. Okay. Because we're going to let that gas expand, and that cools that gas. So then it can go back into the system, and you're getting heat out of the system. Okay. Okay. You're transferring it out. So uh, the sudden release of uh, the sudden release cooled the air by the Joule-Thompson effect. And the cooled air was drawn back into the system and again run through the suit, dropping the temperature of the separating layers. Because, like... Your sweat is going to be semi-vaporous kind of going up maybe mm-hmm. as it's evaporating off you. And we want to condense the water down out of that. Okay. And that's what it needs to be cooled. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So there's this crazy temperature interchange that's happening all around right. you and different at each layer of that still suit. That is so cool. I mean, like, I feel like the still suits have to be bulky. But, like, it, it in uh, every picture I see of it, it looks, like, pretty well form-fitting. Yeah, very much. It's yeah. like a second skin. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like micro, like micro construction gotcha. is what they're doing. These guys are masters of their mm-hmm. craft, uh, and then these layers are like pressed together. So, like, you only need the atoms, you know, that or rather, let's say like the molecules to move through, right? That's all that's going through there. Um, so it's just very precise. So the buildup release cycle would continue until the temperature drops sufficiently to liquefy ammonia uh, produced from the thigh pads uh, that filtered the wearer's urine. And once the ammonia had been liquefied, the air was automatically retained in the hood chamber and the ammonia was pumped into the tubing system. So it sort of like separates it out, puts it into this uh, little mm-hmm. gaseous system. And uh, the ammonia, um, it's pumped into the tubing system, keeping the temperature down until it was converted back into a gas by acquired heat, at which point the cycle was triggered again. So it's cool that it uses your ammonia basically to then power the whole system. That it takes out of your urine. Okay. And that's just operating. And if there's ever too much of it, like you have a, the fifth layer will release unnecessary gases. Oh. So it's got it all going for okay. it. Okay. So passing through this chilled area, returned and trapped water vapor protected from ammonia contamination by the airtight nature of the tubing <laughs> would revert to its liquid form. And that goes to your little water caches. 
Uh, it gets forced through separating layers by both pumping pressure and osmosis and was sub uh, subsequently trapped in the fourth layer. So here, another tubing system routes the reclaimed water uh, from which salt pr precipitators are located in the second and third layers. Like I said, when it's pushing through, it's pulling out salt, pulling out any okay. unnecessary, yeah, yeah, yeah. any contaminants, and uh, puts it all in your cash pocket for you. Any radiated body heat, which survived the passage through the separating layers, uh, would then go out through the fifth layer along with unreclaimed gases, as I kind of said there. Okay. So that's how it purges. And that does seem like a little bit of a gimme of just like, and the fifth layer magically just takes care of this little bit. <laughs> I'm like, we're done talking about tubes real quick. <laughs> so still suits were considered unattractive but essential garments by mm -hmm. uh, most non-Fremen. And its manufacturer brought about a steady income for CH factories because they would sell some yeah. of these off. Of like, cool, that's a good way. Smugglers, like they buy Fremen yeah. ones. Oh, um, yeah, they're not going to take any like second party, third party. No. Uh, yeah, and then, like, the last part of this article goes into, like, what we already know of, like, no one who valued their life would venture into the desert with a still suit that wasn't of Fremen manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, its importance can be seen not only in the survival of Fremen themselves, but in the death rate among Harkonnen servitors, <laughs> to whom the tribes adamantly refused to sell their wares. <laughs> Which I love. Oof. So, uh, we got a little reference book for that at the end, Mike. Oh, what's the reference? Well, uh, the author was Janet Olslow. And she wrote Fremen, Lives and Legends. And this was uh, printed by Morgan and Chirac on Seleucus Segundus. <laughs> what? There's a printer over there, apparently. <laughs> okay. It's in the far from future, too. It's not the Seleucus we know. Oh, it's actually oh, it's different. It's a garden world. What? How did we, how does that happen? Well, Mike, you know my answer. <laughs> come, come on. I'm not a hack. This is my first rodeo. <laughs> It. Now, I let you pick that first one, and I think I am glad you chose Still Suit. Okay. Because Still Tent, I get to start off with something Kyle the Fremen told me. What did he say? Well, we had a little like sidebar before we started that chapter. Oh, I, oh. Yeah, I knew we only had a little bit of time, and then he was going to go. Kyle, <laughs> I don't have long, you need to listen. I got an important <laughs> question. Yeah, well, no, he told me there's a Fremen saying that I'd never heard before. Okay. And that uh, the Fremen say three things are useless, Mike. Sand to a thirsty man. Water to shy halud. And still tents to Mudir Naya. Okay. So, so why does the Beast Ravon not like... Not like still tents? Yeah. Hmm. Let's see if we can uh, get to the bottom of that by the end of this article. <laughs> okay. I think we will. It's going to be great. But so a still tent, the earliest... It feels like a Harkonnen joke sort of at its roots. No, it's a Fremen joke. It's a Fremen joke. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Not a... Uh, sorry. Yeah. Woof. That wine. <laughs> It might be a Harkonnen joke, like when you're on the execution table, and like, well, let me say my last words. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a Fremen joke. <laughs> so the earliest version of our still tent were actually dwellings uh, from Ishia. Okay. So our desert world, yeah. the Zen Sunnis were on. They made them, but the biggest difference is like those ones that they made were semi-permanent dwellings. So they were like a little bit bigger uh, and that's Couldn't like move them. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and uh, I guess so the other thing is uh, they had like the caches the same way, but they also would have a, um, a still within them that would be for the waste. Uh, okay. And specifically they would only reclaim their urine. They would actually use their feces as a fertilizer okay. and they weren't worried about reclaiming that. Cause again, it wasn't as severe. It mm -hmm. wasn't fatal to not have that water or right, not right, be right. fully water disciplined. Right. And uh, their tent, the Zensuni one on this Ishia, it's a chromoplastic outer layer that would turn reflective white during the hours of sunlight and then reverted to normal transparency at night. And this would help with the condensation of dew and pulling water from the air. 
that it would also collect in its still pockets. Ooh. So it's even like stealing a little bit of air or water from the outside as best it can. This water that would like precipitate and cool mm. on its skin and then fall down. And it was uh, a reclamation still is the bit that was inside that they would use in the bathroom, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so once uh, the Zensuni become what we would call the Fremen and are on Arrakis, uh, they realize that the Ischian design is primitive and inefficient. Like, it's not going to cut it. Mm. Uh, we need to be 100% on water reclamation, right? That's right. It's going to include feces. And it's going to get to the point, I think I told you today, where you need to wear your still suit inside the tent. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that on Ishia. One, they didn't have still suits yet, but right. it wasn't it wasn't even a thing. Here, once we've changed it, we update the design of the still tent now. And uh, now we're making it, it's a temporary place of shelter for Fremen. And it's only for if you're caught outside your siege, right? This is an mm-hmm. emergency, like, ooh, we're not getting home tonight. Put this up. So it's a lot smaller now. The Ishia ones would go into a single point. So it's mm-hmm. either TP style or a dome. It's not really clear. Uh, but now the Fremen one is basically like a half a cylinder. So I think like two arches and then like kind of flat on each end. Right. And then it's flat on the bottom where it sits into the ground. Okay. That's what our, we were actually kind of wondering at the shape a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was wondering, you know, how it supported all that sand. So that right. is all it is, uh, which makes me kind of like, all right, sure. <laughs> it sounds like there's only two bars that are going up. Like, however that worked, that worked, I guess. I just have more questions. And uh, they kept it as small as they could. So before you could stand in the ones on Ishia, here you're like, you can crouch down, you can stretch a little bit, but it's basically for two people to sleep in and maybe have a Frem kit in there with them. That's all you got for space because that's all they're accounting for. The door flap, which used to be on the Ishia ones, it was a flap. They're like, no, it's not going to cut it. You know, <laughs> we, they need t- we need sphincters. We need sphincters. We need clear plastic sphincters. <laughs> like, this guy, really? All right, all right. You're the designer, I guess. Put a sphincter on that motherfucker. Um, so they do that. And uh, the Fremen have giggled ever since. Uh, the fabric gets changed to the same material that we now use in still suits. Because yep, that was developed, all developed on Arrakis. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever material it was made from before, who knows? And then, like I said, you had to remain in your still suit. Because that was the only way your uh, sweat, your urine, and your feces would be captured. This is mainly for the breath. Yes, the tent. Yep, yep, the tent. And uh, your exposed hands. Oh, right. And forehead. That's true. So there is like a little bit of it. a little bit of comfort. Mostly for the breath. You're dead on for. Now, this made uh, authentic still still tents a valuable item to trade. And their sales to outsiders provided a handsome income to many sketches. Because, mm. like, the, even more so, I think, than a still suit, like, anyone can use a still tent. Right. And understand it. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're uncomfortable in a still suit. They don't like catheters right. and stuff. I dig it. <laughs> I get you. And it's a still the ideal, though. No, no. Oh, they'll die, yeah, without it. But, like, fuck it. We'll sell it to you. Yeah. Uh, take that. Go out there, smuggler. Go crazy. <laughs> um, there was one group, who, however, to whom the fiercely independent tribes refused to sell their still tents. <gasps> The Harkonnens. The Harkonnens. <laughs> He's not going to cut it. We're never selling to you guys. Get out of here. So I think maybe in response to that to some extent, uh, in 101.85, so okay. six okay. six years ago, Mike, All right. when the Beast Raban was still king and top dog on Arrakis, yeah. he organized a raid, and they hit three sieches at once. Ooh. So they were hitting the Fremen hard. They went to Tuono. They went to Remo. And they went to Amit. And uh, this was all ordered by the Count. And when they got there, the inhabitants, though, they had fled already. Wimpy Fremen, right? All left. In they unusual, already knew. In unusual. I think they did. It says they left in unusual haste. And they left behind uh, all their factory products were all there. Because, like, the Sietra was basically whole, right? Right. So I don't know if, like, they got word and they just bailed out and the Raban shows up. Like, they were yeah. just like, well, we're going to we'll move to another Sietra. Like, you can take the machinery. We have our water. Yeah. Oh, and they take, they yeah. take everything. Oh, yeah. 
And I think this is maybe one of the first times, too, that they've seen how extensive maybe the Fremen uh, operation is. Right. And uh, that's why he's so convinced. It's like they are a thing that we have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Underlying Raban's knowledge. But, you know, he he knows. I mean, you clocked him up as a little smarter, you know, Mm -hmm. than the Baron's giving credit for. Maybe he just understands that the Baron, you can't get him to reason and listen to you. There's no point in arguing. Like, sure, there are just 10 of them. Fine. Mm -hmm. Like, I've tried. But I know because of this whole thing, I got robbed and I stole all this stuff from them uh so they get like a whole like an army's worth of still tents and like Raban's is like i got an idea i'm gonna really fuck with these fremen the next group of soldiers that come in he equips them all with still tents and these guys are going out in the desert to fight fremen oh so like they're equipped with fremen level tech right Mm -hmm. they head out there uh and uh it says what in what must uh must have seemed a pleasing bit of irony to the planetary governor the captured still tents were issued to the next group of soldiers and sent to round up the people raban referred to as desert scum so a week goes by oh no no word two weeks go by no word we have to go out and find these soldiers like what what happened to them what could have possibly happened to all of them they're all no one comes back eaten by worms Nope. Nope. So we go out. Imagine us flying over with some sort of Harkonnen thopter. It's got it splashed on colors. And when you go over one ridge, maybe, you know, this rock Oh, did the Fremen go and slaughter them all in their sleep? Mike, uh, you you cute little man. You know, what? It's so, you see all the tents set up in this little valley. You land your thopter. It's a strange sight. There's maybe some scorch marks around some of them. Some look a little ragged. Some are upright and still full and fine. This is very weird. This isn't a full-scale attack. You go to investigate. You move through these kind of layers. You want to know what happens, Mike? Yeah, I want to know what happens. So imagine Sherlock's here, and he's able to like turn back time for us, and we go back to the <laughs> Look beginning. at everything in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these guys land. They all set up their tents. Let's say, you know, it's mid-morning. Mm-hmm. Maybe just dawn. The, uh, it's dawn. The sun's just coming up. They know they have to stop moving for the night. They pitch all their tents. They all go inside. Mm-hmm. Everyone says their fond farewells. Maybe one more beer, one more spice beer before you, you know, go right, down to rest. Right, right. It's the Harkonnens. They're Did you not say at night or during the day? During the day. Okay. During the day. Okay. I, I think I might be going back. Okay, there, I, but yeah, but I mean to say as dawn, I as see it comes up. I see what you mean. The sun's there. So they go into their tents. And this is where the weirdest things start happening. It starts getting really hot in your tent, Mike. Oh, my God. It starts getting, they sabotage the tents? They sabotage all the tents. They turn Mike. in the microwaves. <laughs> Mike, if it was only that simple. Oh, no. So the first layer, which was supposed to carry reclaimed water, had been changed and basically reversed. So that instead of it putting heat out, it started it bringing heat, heat in. in. Oh, my God. So what would be the first thing you do? You Run start, outside? I mean, so you go, to, yeah, you go yeah. to that sphincter, right? You try yeah. to pull that sphincter open? The clear plastic sphincter valve mic had been treated so that when it reached a certain temperature, it hardened and solidified. Rock hard it's, sphincters. It's just plexiglass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you have it. I tried to hold back. <laughs> yeah, you're banging on this rock hard sphincter. It won't give, Mike. What do you do next? You, you just, take a knife and try and cut your way out. You do. I'm so, dude, you're a right on boy. I have not queued you up for this. You go, you take your knife out. You slash wildly. They've weaved shiga wire into the oh innermost layer. God. So now it's as good as Kevlar, Mike. You can't cut through it. There's a laser gun sitting by your pillow, though. Oh, no. You pick up the laser gun. You're like, maybe, just maybe. You shoot the laser gun. 80% of its energy is returned as heat. Oh, it cuts through the fabric, Mike, but it's too late. You've already roasted alive in this pizza oven, and you fall down, burned to a crisp. God. I was going to say, this is a very Rorschach moment where <laughs> the Fremen weren't worried about being hunted or evacuating. This was a trap for the Harkonnens. Uh, we're going to get right back to that uh, for sure. 
So it killed everyone. Oh, and I they bet. were either left to bake slowly or to commit suicide. The oh. ones that didn't have a laser gun and melted themselves out for it. When the tents were opened by the search party, they cut easily enough with a laser gun beam directed from the outside. And a report of what was found was relayed to Count Raban. The results were predictable. A pogrom. Largely futile as the tribes were expecting it and had gone into hiding. And the Harkonnen troops were ordered to destroy rather than use any CH products they discovered in its course. Oh my god. So I think the Fremen, one, not only knew the trap was coming, Mm -hmm. they knew it a month before. And they started production of trap tents and did everything. (laughs) And then were like, done. And just walked out slowly <laughs> that night before and took a casual stride over to the next CH. What a fucking trap. Wow. That's so fucking amazing. An expression dating back to this period illustrates it well. Three things we know to be useless. Sand to a thirsty man. <laughs> water to shy halud. And still tense to mudir naya. I love that. That's so good. <laughs> the final uh, little bit I got in here. Until the arrival of the Atreides, there is no record of anyone connected with the ruling House of Arrakis making any further attempt to use a Fremen steel tent. <laughs> <laughs> so then, where did Yui get his steel tent from? Fremkit. Or where did he get that Fremkit from? Fremen? <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Did they just be like, oh, new house, we don't have to have the trapped ones out anymore? Uh, uh, I, okay, if you want, if you're really going to pull my leg to it, I would say potentially from Idaho. Oh, okay, gotcha. If you're going to say, like, sense. yeah, we have Fremen connections. And if anything, if any house was more closely tied to the Fremen, yeah. it's going to be the Atreides. That's right. Because even in that one week window. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. He he was just so instrumental in this. Uh, I'd be like, he's in heaven. He's escape. like, hey, do you want to mean fail upward, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Right. So you need my backpack and you need me to take a plane out into this one weird spot in the <laughs> desert. Like. Aren't you just like the the school nurse? Like, what are you doing here? Don't you just make sure people don't sleep? Isn't that (laughs) your only job? Speaking of which, do you have a Red Bull? (sighs) No, you feel a little tired, Mike? No, Well, no, I got a picker upper for you, Derek. What do you got? It's Gurney, Gurney, Gurney! Oh, you got three picker uppers. (laughs) Well, then you should feel right awake. Derek. I love me some Gurney. Oh, the Gurney game's so good. And then a little bit of Gurney. Every week, I'm bringing you three different Gurneys. One quote, Derek, I need your help to tell me which Gurney wore it best. I got it. I got it. Though I feel like you really bring me four gurneys because I have a little gurney dangling on the I, end. You know, I, I love I've, that gurney. I've started getting into the habit of a bonus gurney, and I don't think you're going to be... Yes, uh, I get a bonus yeah, gurney. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be too upset on this one. All so, right. the three gurneys I have for you today are the classic gurneys. Gurney Halleck, Troubadour Warrior of the Atreides, formerly of the Atreides. Ooh, I hate that. Oh, mm. That's right. James Gurney, famed author and artist of Dinotopia. And painter. Yeah, author and artist of... Oh, he's, damn, I didn't hear... I'm sorry. <laughs> Thought I was giving him extra credit. You got it. You got it covered. I'm yeah, sorry. I got you covered. Stepping, I got on, you your, covered. stepping on your toes and here. Ivor Gurney, English poet and composer. Oh, I was worried Ivor was stepping down this week. No, I think Still Ivor. Strong. I don't. I honestly, I'm having trouble finding a better Gurney than Ivor. He's just so awesome. Hey, props to you, Ivor. We struck gold. Yeah, but that's okay. Every Gurney has their place, and that place is in the bonus Gurney. <laughs> <laughs> you get your own Frau religious. Every Gurney in its place, and every bonus Gurney for a Gurney. Carry on. (laughs) So uh, here's your quote for today. All right. What things I have missed today, I know very well, but the seeing of them each new time is miracle. Oh, that was shorter than expected. Mm -hmm. Okay. Read it to me one more time. What things I have missed today, I know very well, 
but the scene of them each new time is miracle. Okay, so that is like a very abrupt kind of cut at the end. Each new scene of them is miracle. But the scene of them each new time is miracle. But the scene of them each new time is miracle. That's that just sounds kind of clunky to me. It does sound kind of clunky. In like I wanna I wanna lean towards a translated way. Which oh. makes me touch on because I know I put you on that path. So I'm like, maybe so, you looked that up. Maybe so, you found some French gurney and are so you're going thinking into it. Ivor gurney. Though. I'm thinking Ivor gurney. Uh, I want to. Oh, he's put an asterisk the, next to James. The one thing I want to say is that there, there could be a typo. I've had a couple typos in some of the quotes I've given you, such as like uh, sweet nester instead of sweet nectar. <laughs> okay. Which, uh, so keep that in mind. But that's, uh, that's been a couple of them and different gurneys each time, too. What do you I mean? think it's just I don't know I don't know why but like I've been finding typos in several of these. Oh, you just hey you, all right hey gurneys be gurneys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, I don't know if you're trying to throw me off or trying to bring me back to something. I I, I, I just I just don't want you to assume like oh because it sounds a little off okay, it could just okay, be a typo gotcha. and like if that's your reasoning I don't want that to be the de facto reason. Okay, but there's but it's kind of all with like, but there's also nothing I'm gonna do about it right now. I'm just <laughs> Sorry. like, but you're on your own. <laughs> it's like now I'm just left with like, hey, and there might be a typo in this one. <laughs> I'm just like, God damn it. Gurney game gets rough. But no, I appreciate your point of like just full disclosure. Yeah. Right. Um so I wanna say I'm sticking to my like translation feeling though. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sit Gurney Halleck down. Okay. I'm, that does kind of sound like there could be something you cut off where, like, the T-Rex, uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, Dinotopia gut right there. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll go with my gut instinct and lock me in with Ivor Gurney, and okay. I'm thinking this is a poem. Maybe not translated, but just, like, maybe taken in a certain, you know, you cut out a stanza kind of deal. Right, right, right. And there's just something that I'm not recognizing of a pattern in its uh, writing. So, Ivor Gurney, you got my bet. All right. Well, it is by Ivor Gurney. Yeah, Yesterday Lost. It's what? It's called Yesterday Lost. Yesterday Lost. Mm. You are right. It is a little bit shorter. And part of the reason for that is that some of these poems talk about locations in England specifically. And I got to make sure I don't hit those exact nouns. Hey, I hear. I got to go find those quotes each chapter, Mike, that (laughs) doesn't say a character name. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough. Mm -hmm. They love to identify themselves. But uh, yeah, no, it was good. Woo. It was was good. Well done. Yeah. Is that that, uh, from that book of poems he wrote in France? It's one of the two. I don't know which one. It didn't say which one. Okay. Okay. But I know it's by Ivor Gurney. That is cool. I Mm. love an Ivor Gurney. It's a nice reflective one. Our man from Gloucester. Mm Mm-hmm. Derek, I got a bonus gurney for you. Of course, Mike, I'm here for the bonus gurney. I play the gurney game just to get to the bonus gurney. <laughs> oh, no, it's become a thing. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got? Well, how much do you know about Malaysia? Nothing, except for terrible airplanes. Uh, <laughs> airplane stories, like tragic tales. That is, I think, really the only time Malaysia has popped up within my like um, kind of normal knowledge in the last like 10 years. Right? right, right. Okay, so I guess the first thing, Malaysia wasn't always Malaysia. That was actually pretty recent. About uh, 1960 would be about the time frame there. Oh, wow. Very recently. I was going to say, and Mike, you tie it right into my favorite time frame, my Dune time frame. Yeah, yeah. 1965 to 1984. That's like our window we're looking into. Mm-hmm. This, Yeah, so this would be happening in time during Herbert's life and during his writing as mm-hmm. well. So 1960 is about the time when Malaysia became a unified country. It's got several different states within I think there's, uh, I don't have this written down. I think it's about 11 or so different states within it. Okay. But prior to that, 
It was known as Malay, and it was under... Was it still, like, the same size that it was? It's the same, yeah, same size and everything, but it was under uh, British occupation for, like, the last hundred, I want to say the last hundred years, about. Okay, that sounds about right. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, World War One and Two kind of threw everything into disarray. <laughs> Get World out. War One, we had a depression worldwide, not just in the U.S. It mm. kind of affected everyone. What's particularly useful about Malay is they've got a really great abundance of resources, specifically with rubber and tin. Okay, so Which those would have been huge yeah, at the time, right? UK fucking poor. After World War One, it's like, okay, we need to get the trade up and going and like we need to get things happening. So they start some infrastructure within Malay and getting those uh, trade routes going best they can. But uh, World War Two came along and the Japanese invaded Malay. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I mean, great resources there. After World War Two or before? During World War Two. During World War Two. Yeah. II. And Britain's like, no, we need that. And like, that's our place right now. So that's not going to fly. So they trained a large portion of the Malayans. They had them they had them enlist. They trained them in guerrilla warfare. And they created an anti-Japanese guerrilla army. And all throughout World War II, they basically fought the Japanese until World War II ended. Japanese invasion was gone. Oh my uh, do you know specific like is this while the British were focusing on the Western Front? Yeah. That's so crazy. It's not something I really learned in my history books. Mm-hmm. So I was very uh, enamored to learn this. And I, this was honestly a very uh, cut and dry. I'm going to try and learn as much as I can in a small amount of time. So if I got some facts wrong, you know, someone can call me out on that. And that's great. Ooh, yeah. Point us in yeah. the right direction. Yeah, that'd be means. perfect. Uh, regardless, though, they got rid of them. They're like, excellent. Now we'll establish, like, you know, the Unified Federation of Malaysia. <laughs> well, the Malaysians in the, that were trained were like, hmm, that's great. But I'd like to keep some uh, military status as well. It's like, you know what? I think I'd actually like a lot of this for ourselves. This is our country now. I think this is just ours. And uh, British... That really snowballed. Uh, (laughs) A productive meeting. (laughs) Ooh, I don't know about that. And in particular, they had uh, one leader of the guerrilla forces that would be the de facto leader. Wait, 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 wait. Let me guess. Is this a gurney? It's not. No! Mm -mm. This is the Malaysian leader then? Yeah, it's the Malaysian leader. Oh, oh, are we going to fight the British? Is my gurney going to be on the British side? Oh, you'll see in just a second. It would be... uh, I want to know so bad, Oh, God, I need his name. It's like Chen, uh, Chen Peng or something like that. Oh, Chen Peng. <laughs> awesome. That's a, that's a space name. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely a space name. So, Chen Peng was the leader of the guerrilla forces during this. 1945 is when sort of everything stopped for World War II. During this four year period, that's when small guerrilla raids started happening. And the guy in charge. Was, so, wait, so who are they fighting against still? The Japanese? The, no, the British. Okay, so now it's the British. Yeah. It's the natives pushing back against the British after the Japanese had tried to invade during yeah. World War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just trying to follow all our, our enemies correctly. So yeah. now we're looking from the native Cheng, Cheng Peng? Chin Peng. Chin yeah. Peng. So yeah, he's same. leading the native, they're not Malaysian, they Malayans? Because it would be Malay, right? Yeah, exactly. So Chin Peng is Malayan. Malayan. Okay, I was looking at the word to describe the people. Yeah. Like, gotcha. Yeah. So Malayans. So they, they turn around and sort of they start doing these guerrilla raids. Uh-huh. And they start small at first. Over time, it gets bigger and it becomes more of an issue. So uh, the one in charge here, who was appointed to the governor of the Malayan Union in 46 after World War II, guess who he was? Uh, okay, I can do it now? Yeah, I can do it now. Gurney! His name was Edward Ghent. Fuck <laughs> you. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and Ghent was one of those leaders who's just like, don't worry about it, it's fine. He was the Baron. It's like, don't worry about the Fremen. They're just Fremen. Like, they're of no concern. 
Oh, so he's the British leader that's he's there. He's the British and leader. He's like, don't worry about these Malayans. Right? Oh, so you know what? Even if I can tie to the steel tent story, yeah. he's the planetary governor who is like, oh, this is kind of funny. This yeah. is a good joke you're playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you carry on with your good joke, you good humor gent, you? His title was High Commissioner. I like it. Which is basically, you're the one in charge of everything there. That is like a title that is ominously bureaucratic to me. It really is. Yeah. But it also sounds really cool. No, High it does. commissioner. Yeah, but like in the fact that you're in a country, like I, I just am fearful as a high commissioner of Malaysia, a Malay, as mm-hmm. much as there's like a high commissioner of baseball. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Well, it was around this time and things started getting serious. It's like we can't actually ignore this anymore. And he was getting heat from the motherland. It's just like, what's happening over there? And all of a sudden, they have to dissolve the Malayan Union, and it's replaced with the Federation of Malaya. Okay, I think you said Federation earlier. Oh, sorry. Before, so it was Union goes into the Federation. You're right, yeah. He was commissioner of the Union. Of the, yeah, the okay. uh, Malayan Union. Ooh, okay, and then, so was that supposed to be reflective of, like, British Union? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. But now it becomes the Federation of Malaya, and we're, you know, bringing all these states together, we're all on the same page. Solidarity. Instead of what's becoming a slow civil war. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it becomes. Although, we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it an emergency. Because. That's not like calmer to me. but <laughs> In an emergency. Well, there. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. One moment here. Yes. In an emergency, your insurance still kicks in. Oh. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm all wrong. But in times of war, your insurance won't cover anything. So Wait, de- <laughs> whose insurance are we talking about? The British? <laughs> just like in whole the British? Yeah. Like anything lost in time of war, it's just like, well, that's what happens in war. But it's like, oh, there's an emergency. <gasps> okay. Oh, holy shit. So this is straight up like, so this is like parlance, your uh, British common law is what we're doing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Your businesses won't be covered for the stuff you're doing in this country across the world <laughs> if we call it a war. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah. So it was deemed the Malayan emergency. And like, if you look that up, that is, that's the big thing. Uh, more or less a 12 year civil war within Malaya. No, Mike, we don't say war. <laughs> it was a 12 year civil emergency. <laughs> 12 year emergency. Yes. And basically, Gent's the one who let it escalate to this. He could have taken so many opportunities to put his foot down. Just like, mm-hmm. no, it's not worth it. He's called back. Get out of town. Yeah. You get promoted. With the guise of, hey, we need you to advise on some things. He was fired before he even got on the plane back to Great Britain. That's unheard of. These men are supposed I know. to be promoted up in the chain and given life tenure in some sort of uh, government position. But there was a plane crash. <gasps> Not going to lie. I didn't realize there were planes. <laughs> Time wise, I guess there were. World been. War II, there. Yeah, yeah, we're up there. I got you. I- but he died returning to the United Kingdom. His plane collided with a Scandinavian airline near Northwood, near London. Over London? Yeah. Wow. So close. Yeah. I don't feel bad. I thought it was going to be something from like one of the guerrilla fighters, but like, nope, it was just his plane hit another plane. I thought you were going to say like a Scandinavian bird of some sort. (laughs) A green bird? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know where this was going. I was kind of hoping for something a little comical, but that's just tragic. So High Commissioner, he's dead, but like, was was it really a loss? Like we were going to fire him anyways. So we're going to need someone to come in and fill his boots. Yeah. We need a real High Commissioner here. We need need someone to be in charge. You know what we need? I do. What do we need? We need someone not named Gurney. Because fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, I don't play the goddamn game. <laughs> who, who did you send over? And then I'll tell you who I sent over. Well, Derek, we sent a gurney. We finally we, we bo- get a gurney to take care of things. I and mean, this gurney, I know within England they have a reserve of gurneys, they and have, we only use them in emergency <laughs> situations. And since this was clearly they're labeled, like our special force, yeah, yeah. But since this was clearly labeled an emergency, mm-hmm. they're like, well, now's the time. Hit that gurney button. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, this is probably the biggest gurney name I've seen. 
Yeah. And the titles that go along with it are longer. Oh, if you make the font smaller, it gets smaller. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, we call in the cavalry. We need Sir Henry Lovell Goldsworthy Gurney. <laughs> you got me with Goldsworthy. <laughs> Goldsworthy Gurney. I feel like that family name, that was a name they chose themselves of like, no, no, we're Goldsworthy. If you have any, we'll take it. Oh, not just that. New High Commissioner, Knight Commander of the Order of St. Michael and St. George, Knight of Justice of the Order of St. John. Keep going. Yeah. Give, me, well, give me the whole name now. <laughs> yeah, I, need, exactly. I need the whole name repeated again. Okay, so it's Sir Henry Lovell Goldsworthy Gurney. Goldsworthy Gurney. Knight Commander of the Order of St. Michael and St. George. Knight of Justice of the Order of St. John. High Commissioner of Malaya Federation. My God. That's a good title. Yeah, that that's is, a pretty good title. That's like Daenerys, Queen of Dragons. Yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm, I'm sure he had someone read that out in every room he entered. <laughs> no, Derek, it gets better. Uh, I've wait, a... wait, can I sidetrack you? And you yeah. can say no. I don't want you to like feel like you have to go find this out. Did okay. you dip into what those knight orders were? Yeah, I did. The St. George and St. Michael? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, oh, I, I kind of want to know what that all is. Unless you want to like save that in this order you got set up. Uh, we can just do a quick thing here. There, it's nothing uh, crazy. They're just distinguished orders of like chivalry, sort of like how uh, Leto has it's called the red duke well he has the cavalier's cross yeah er, yeah the chevalier's cross it's it's sort of the the order it's sort of the same idea yeah where like it's awarded by uh the sovereign and the ruling family the first one was named in honor of the two military saints saint michael saint george Mm -hmm. originally awarded to people who were in prominent status and doing uh big things across the globe in uh foreign affairs yeah whether it be like, oh, they fought in a foreign war or like they were uh, an amazing emissary and ambassador. And then the uh, the second award, Knight of Justice of St. John, is a very similar thing. That's cool. That is really neat. Uh, yeah. So it's very cool. I like it. Very gurney. They sent him over. Titles and all. Titles and all. And Derek, I, I need to show you a picture of this man. Oh, yeah. You said this before that I would like I was going to lose it when I saw him. Yeah, because when I think of I we will post a picture of this. I told you I'm expecting you. You're not showing it to me yet. No. I'm expecting full on mutton chops or a full on Joshua Chamberlain kind of beard, which is basically mutton chops that connect to a mustache. Because why the hell not? Not even going to get close. No, this is kind of what I imagine when I think of our big game hunter, Yui. OK, cap on that. Holy <laughs> shit. Where did he get that hat? <laughs> That's bigger than the hat, I imagine. <laughs> it's like swollen. What is wrong with that hat? Is that a Hitler mustache? <laughs> that looks like cosplay Hitler mocking the queen in some manner. He's a knight of justice. The hat, though, I can't. That is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Look at those awards, though. Oh, his, his medals. He's highly he's, decorated. I'll give you everything I think, else. I think that's just his, you know, decoration hat. <laughs> But full of all my other awards. That's why it's so big. <laughs> that picture, as soon as I saw that, you're like, well, I guess we're talking about Sir Henry Gurney this week. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That is absurd. Yeah. But he does look confident. He <laughs> He's got that confident. going. So for our sakes, we'll just call him uh, Sir Henry Gurney. British colonial administrator, high commissioner, uh, served in various posts throughout the British Empire. And so he sort of worked his way up there. He was born June 1898 and died in October 6th. 1951. Okay, so what does that end up being, like, uh, 60-some-odd years old? Well, Derek, when the previous high commissioner was sacked and, you know, died on his way back to the the motherland, that was 1948. Oh, oh, wait, wait, what is that? 
Oh, so, so. He, he was super late. Oh shit, he's gonna die soon. <laughs> oh, no. Is that what we're gonna do? <laughs> That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna do. So he's already. He, you said wait, you fifty one. Fifty one. Oh, we got three years left. So he came into this at the pretty much the start of the emergency. Oh God! All right, all right. he better end the emergency. Well, he's got a plan. <laughs> okay, that's better than what the last guy appeared mm. to have. His plan is, we're not going to ignore them, but we're not going to just all out fight them either. We don't want to have a country full of blood. We're going to try and do this through some sort of passive aggressive means. Okay, you say that to me. Is that supposed to be a good plan? It sets up a policy that ends up actually succeeding in the end. Okay, then I'll give it to him. Okay. That sounds like a bad plan, the way you just sort of said it. it it's a little weird, but all right. So this is what happens, because the first thing you have to understand is Malay and sort of how it's set up. And there are, I mean, you've got uh, the Malayans, but you've got several people from India, from Indonesia, from China, but they're not like Malayan. Okay. You know, that's not their like home country, so to speak. But like they live there, they work there. That's more or less where they've been their entire lives. I mean, I mean it's a really compact geographical it, region. It really is. And it's separated by a body of water as well. Mm. So instead of direct confrontation, Gurney sort of gave the world its first glimpse of how communist terror tactics would be effectively eroded by launching a plan which marked an unprecedented social revolution never before seen in the history of British overseas rule. We had a bunch of uh, Chinese squatters. They didn't really have homes, <laughs> okay. um, especially after the war and fighting the Japanese. Now, these Jap- uh, Chinese squatters were instrumental in uh, fighting back the Japanese because they were basically the ones giving money and food and information to the guerrilla warriors in the jungles. So they were basically living like uh, just sort of living everywhere without homes. Mm-hmm. He managed to resettle them into like uh, villages just outside of the jungle. Okay. They built the infrastructure, they built the villages, and then they built the defense around them to make sure that Chinpeng wouldn't use them for more guerrilla uh, information. Okay. Okay. Kind of isolate um, them a little yeah. bit. 600,000 Chinese squatters. Wow. The population. And the, the, they were instrumental in uh, fighting off the Japanese previously. And Chinpeng knew the value of them. And they were a large part of their success. I think uh, given the year that this was in, the Chinese population was still below a billion people. Like, mm-hmm. I think in 65, it ends up being like um, eight point something or nine point something. So in 40s, I can't even imagine how much lower you go. But that means that, like, that number of people is almost a percentage of the Chinese population. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Well, it was what was hard about it is that Chin Peng, once he realized what Gurney was doing, Mm -hmm. he uh, was basically using intimidation tactics. It's just like, hey, if you're not going to help us, we're just going to kill you because you're no use to us this way. So Gurney had to act really fast. Otherwise... People were just going to die left oh, and right. Oh, Chin Peng was using Chin Peng was oh, doing gotcha. that. Oh, gotcha. I thought you said Gurney. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to stay on Gurney's side. If no, that's how no. Okay. No, that was not Gurney. All right. What was difficult is that Gurney needed to try and persuade the uh, squatters to move without being overly violent because he was trying to do it in a nonviolent way if possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the biggest stumbling block was he did have to sort of get a block of land and acquire that. Through the old fashioned methods? Yeah. <laughs> for 600,000 people. Like, that's pretty nuts. And so he formed a squatters committee, which would later become known as the Briggs plan, named after, uh, I think it was a Lieutenant Briggs. Uh, It was someone brought in in the command of the next high commissioner. Okay. But he laid the groundwork for that. And that would actually also become instrumental in our new high commissioner's plan, which we'll tell you in a little bit. But the big thing is during the three years, he was nonviolent. Okay. He's setting up all the the pieces that they're going to succeed with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which I guess is better than the ignorance that uh, our former 
Yeah, no, I mean, he definitely <laughs> yeah. seems like kind of someone who's a little more ahead of his time. Now, Derek, all good gurneys must come to an end. Well, I mean, our gurney hasn't, so I don't know why we're killing off other gurneys, <laughs> no. but if you must, the um, year is 1951. On October 6th in 1951. Mm. Okay, zeroed in. So Henry Gurney. Damn, that's like almost contemporary. Yeah. We're on October 10th right now recording. He's on the Kuala Kuba Road going to Fraser's Hill. That's a really cool road. Mm-hmm. Kuala Kuba? Yep, he's with his wife, he's with his secretary, okay. his chauffeur, he's got a couple guards with him just in case. Why not? Yeah, he's rolling down the road in his Rolls Royce. Damn, Gurney. Style points right there. Yeah. He's in Malay. That's got to be like one of the only ones, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty much. Who gave him that? I don't I mean, I, uh, wrong. okay, yeah, carry on. Yeah, Sorry, I don't know. Tangential. I want to, I'll talk to this gurney in heaven at some point. Um, but they, they've got a couple uh, escort cars as well. Uh-huh. So, okay. It's 19, it's 51. Yeah. This doesn't seem like the time of like IEDs or anything. I'm going to guess diversion on the road to stop the car. Well, I mean, you're not completely wrong. What, what do we get to? One of the terror cells men. Don't know if I can pronounce this correctly. I think it's Su Ma. Okay. He's a guerrilla commander and he needs like a morale boost for his men, so to speak. They haven't been doing a whole lot here out on the road in the middle of nowhere. And so they set up a spot where, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to kill the next person that we know isn't with us. Jesus. Yeah. And so they see this Rolls Royce coming. They're like, all right, man, get ready. Cars coming down. They all come out. And they just open fire. So this um, is like Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Just sh- light up that car. One of the first shots hits the chauffeur in the head. Oh. <gasps> Not the chauffeur. Yeah. So the car's not going anywhere. Okay. Uh, they start littering the vehicle with holes. Now, Gurney, he's convinced, like, oh, they've come to kill me. They have no idea that Gurney is in that car. Right, right. Right. So he ducks down below. He grabs his wife and his secretary. It's just like, get down. He's going to go out trying to protect someone. So instead of trying to allow any more fire on the vehicle, he gets out of it, slams the door as loud as he can, and deliberately like walks away from the car. He gets pretty far because the terrorist organization, uh, the terrorist, they're him? just, they're, well, they're, one, they're confused. Like, what is he doing? Yeah. So they, they stop for a moment, like, okay. And then they, they fill him up. And our, our night gurney, dun, Sir Edward Gurney, dun, is dead. Dun. Man, have you, uh, you've seen Band of Brothers, I assume? Uh, yeah. It's a military miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one point, uh, where they have a guy in Easy Company, and they're like, they're like, they have their two men, or their two teams, and in between them are the Germans. And they're like, but we gotta get over there to get the message. And one guy's like, I'll fucking do it. And he just <laughs> runs through, and the Germans like, don't shoot him, because they don't understand what's going on. And like, he runs through the German line, and they're just like, watch him. I'm just like, what's, he's not... <laughs> and then he just goes there when he gets to the other side and just does it because it's so like yeah. What? I mean, I think in the moment, like that shock, like a lot can happen in that amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So and especially like a little time dilation too for especially Gurney in the height of it, like his adrenaline must be rushing. Yeah. So Gurney, Gurney is assassinated. Um, one of the escort vehicles. Is he? Wait, I think he's just killed. I mean, like it's called the assassination, but I'll give I, you, it but was just an unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. You just told me they yeah. didn't know, so I'm like, I'm pretty sure. And granted, assassination is just semantics, but I think you need to know, and that that just they just killed him. Yeah, that did not mean for that to happen. The uh, escort comes back with police. His wife and secretary are actually okay. They stay hidden in the car Dude, the entire time. Darn so it does work. His yeah, plan does. His plan does work. Yeah. His police escort that were with him in the car, they didn't make it. Some of them, uh, so, uh, wow. several other people were wounded, but 
What is interesting is that Chin Peng, he said that the ambush was routine and that the killing by the the killing was totally by chance. The guerrillas didn't even learn it was the high commissioner until the news broadcasting report started coming out saying that the high commissioner had been killed on this road. Did they claim it? Afterwards, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah that was us. Oh, okay. Phew. <laughs> if they were going to like say, like tell the press, like we didn't even know, be like amateur hour guys, PR, take that hit. Like... <laughs> Well, I mean, the the escorts, are, they knew it had to have been them. Like, who else was it going to be trying to assassinate a gurney? Which is what they thought it was. And still probably would claim that it is. Right, right. I but according saying, to Chin Peng, like, that was totally by chance. He says, like, after the fact, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine afterwards. But in the mm. moment, I want your group to take credit yeah, for it. Yeah. That's just good business. I'm keeping my eyes out for the Malayans as much as I am for these British. But, yeah, no, two days later, Gurney's funeral took place. Buried in Cheris War Cemetery in Kuala Lumpur, which oh, is okay. the, capital the capital of Malaysia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the ceremony drew thousands of people. Like wow. people from Great Britain, people from Malay. In their eyes, he was a leader that was not willing to sacrifice people for the sake of a civil war. Man, he's a Duke Leto. He, yeah, he was a Dick Leto. And our first high commissioner was like, he wasn't doing a good job. He was, you know, sweeping things under the rug. This one, several people came from all classes, nationalities, just to give him their esteem affection and mourn him as a friend who had, in quotes, gone home to the mercy of God. Today, I'd like to let you know that we have a couple uh, things named after this particular gurney. Get out. Like we, what? Gurney Road. <laughs> a great album, yep. but... Uh, no, uh, yeah. Gurney Road in Malacca. Said in, I assume, a town in Malay or in Malaysia. It's one of the states. So Gurney Road oh. in Malacca, Seremben, Kuala Lumpur, and Singapore. So cities, I would assume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, those are all named after him. That's cool. And Singapore was actually part of Malay at this time and then later kicked out. The town named Pecan Gurney in Perak, named after him. Uh, that's also a Malay state. That's cool. Uh, the popular beachfront Gurney Drive in Penang, also named after him, All as right. well as the Henry Gurney Prisoner School in Tilakmaz. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa! That was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> That was all good. Prisoner school? Yeah, prisoner school. I'm not sure what they teach you at prisoner school. <laughs> I don't know. How, like, I feel mixed feelings. Of yeah, like, maybe a little that's weird. Like, maybe, well, maybe it's like a rehabilitation thing. I don't <laughs> know. I just feel like Gurney and prisoners don't go together. But, all <laughs> but right. His tombstone on it is inscribed, Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay, first off, criminal for you to not use that as one of your gurney quotes. I thought about it, but like, oh, here's my new gurney for this week, and here's this quote. <laughs> you could have lied to me, and I would have accepted it's, that game. Is like, awesome. That's our bonus gurney yeah, quote. Yeah, I'm just saying, keep that in mind next time. That, uh, that, uh, that would have been a great, like, mm -hmm. and it's none of them, actually. Let me tell you about this bonus gurney. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, that's, a, that's a really great yeah. like, little epilogue, on, or not epilogue, Jesus, epitaph on his uh, yeah. tombstone. That was the last three years. <laughs> the last three years of gurney's life. Gurney. That is a cool gurney, Mike. It's a really good gurney. Wow. Uh, I'll have you know, our next high commissioner, very brutal. <laughs> I bet. Coming in every... Yeah. But it was a long game that would go on for another 12 years. Mm -hmm. In the end, Malay would become unified and then become its own country of Malaysia. That is gnarly. Yeah. What? Because of a gurney, in a way. Be uh, highly because he's, of a gurney. I like how you set that up. If he's, he really just put all the dominoes in order. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm going to let somebody else knock these down. I mean, he died a martyr, in a way. Mm -hmm. And that really helped. That uh, kind of catalyzed. Yeah. yeah. He helped raise a lot of uh, hopes on what, like, what this place could be like. Mm -hmm. Because they had just gone from war to war to war. Decades even. Some people knew nothing but the state of war within Malay. Uh, so that's just wild to think about. And again, I just want to leave off on a single photograph for you to look at. God, that goddamn hat. It looks like Hitler at a Halloween party. <laughs> 
don't know about that. No, well, he's turned, uh, so you have like a quarter profile, so I can't see his full like mustache. Like I'm sure it is a full one, but it just sort of looks partial. And you got to tell me that profile looks a little. The hat is just so distracting too. Mm. Otherwise, he's a military garb. Yeah. He looks like a pretty fresh guy. So gurney birds, gurney pigs, gurney ghosts, and gurney hat. I mean, that's Gurney the Road? most positive thing you can pull out of yeah, that story. Yeah, I mean, what do you want to say? Because honestly, otherwise we end up at Gurney Ghettos, and Gur- uh, that was the only nah. thing he made. Gurney hats. Gurney hats. Gurney hats. I like it. Mm-hmm. No, the hat is, you guys, look at that yeah. hat. If anyone can come to the defense of that hat, I dare you. Mm. I feel like I couldn't do him. I will him. see you on Twitter. <laughs> I f- sorry for the long one again. I just feel like I couldn't do him justice unless I talked about uh, the state of Malay. Everything yeah. as a whole. That's how history works, but yeah. it's never clean cut. You can't ever <laughs> just like take a gurney out. He pulls a lot with him. So again, any history buffs out there, let me know if I'm wrong because I would love to, uh, you know, reassess my own uh, <laughs> way that I learn things instead of Ooh, cramming it. <laughs> or tell us more. So, oh, yeah. Ooh, uh, tell us more. But uh, I guess with that, Chris, oh, Mike, oh, I, oh, 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 come here, come oh, here, oh, You were gonna like cut Giovanni. I'm off? I'm sorry. Tell him how you feel, buddy. <laughs> that, was, that was rude. I know. Uh, he's very, very vocal about that. He's gonna be real vocal because I don't have any wine left. Oh but, God, are you on. kidding me? Let me get the message. Wait, out. I got some whiskey. Oh, th- we'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> he took it. Um, <laughs> a, a little encoder decoder. Okay. I got one, Mike. Uh, wow, you went all the way for one. This guy is dedicated. All the way for one message. So, we got a message from, uh, we've had a few actually correspondence with uh, Mark from Dune Behind the Scenes. Yeah. Not to be confused with Mark, our New Jersey-based uh, show <laughs> illustrator. <laughs> and uh, he sent me this one, and this one I just really had to bring up. And Mark, thank you for like uh, touching base with us so often. But you know how some people have chimed in to tell us about um, El Muerte's in the trailer? Yeah, yeah. And they showed us that stone. Because I missed it. it. So did I. But I like, was so. I mean, there's a lot that flashes at you real quick. In yeah, that yeah. The, the little and tombstone with the old Duke. Yeah, we yeah. were sent that. A couple pictures of that. There's another one, Mike. Wait, what? Mark sent me the screenshot. It is goddamn El Muerte. Uh, well, I can't. You can barely make them out, but there's a big wooden crate. It's got two sides off of it, and you have three people pulling something out of this crate. It's the bull's head coming <gasps> out of the crate. Wait. What? Oh, oh, yeah. You check it out. It's okay. right in our, if you send it in our Discord, and we can put it on our uh, social media for it. But you can clearly make out the horn uh, to the left side of the box there. Oh, my God. So, Mark, thank you so much. Like, El Muerte is our favorite. Uh, <laughs> or my favorite. I don't know if you're on board, too, but. And then, uh, I don't know if this is really from Mark or if Giovanni brought this one over, but it's also got a picture of the card from the trading card game, which we bought a whole box from. Yeah. <laughs> there is a Cielago Distrans card. Have we not gotten that? I don't think so. We, we opened them all together. We have a few packs left that I'm saving for a rainy we day. We haven't gotten a Piter. That makes me sad. I, we would have stopped everything and done a whole show on just getting <laughs> that Piter card. I, I don't think it exists. That's why I'm saving the last two. It's got to be in there. We That's all we want. But this little one, it's got two guys hunched over. They got a little box with some holes in it. It's the collapsible box that Kyle yeah. pulled out, and it's got a little Cielago in there. And then he dropped the last bit. Which, Mark, you're just like topping off, which everybody else had already chimed in on. Where we're like, remember the Griffin for the Harkonnen symbol? Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. People were like, guys, it's in the encyclopedia. Check it out. Mark's like, hold that thought. Book five oh. by Frank Herbert, Heretics of Dune. He included three quotes from that book. First one, the access tube, brilliantly lighted automatically once they sealed the portal behind them, was decorated with Harkonnen griffins on walls and ceiling. And then I get another one. Fist clench, gaze fixed on a Harkonnen glyphon along along the right hand wall. 
and then the third one. That hearkening griffin worked into a crystal table. The exotic fabrics on chairs and couches. Okay. Okay. So you know what? I think he just really was like griffin, but I think he didn't think of it till after book one. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm putting (laughs) on Frank. So Mark, thank you you for all that. Do book is just like, I'm going to exercise my power just because I can. Yeah, and heretics came after the encyclopedia. Yeah. So maybe he's like, fine, it is a Grifton, but it's because of Grifton because I say so. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, is it, was it uh, Ram in the encyclopedia or a Griffin in the encyclopedia? It was Griffin. Oh, oh shit. It was a Ram oh, in the shit. encyclopedia. Oh, Mike, you're right. Thank you. He cap- He's like, remember that little Ford I gave? We'll you're see told- what people really remember. And they remember the Ram. <laughs> I don't remember either. Uh, clearly. But yeah, you're right. Dude, good catch. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's so great. But, uh, Giovanni, I get, oh, wait. oh shit. Wait, wait, wait. Giovanni? Wait, there's one more. Okay, oh, because he's not waking back up. I think that whiskey, oh, really, God. That whiskey really hit him, but wait. I could probably get the encoder decoder to work. No. I mean, Mike, if you want to wake him up, you can try. Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait a second. Okay. Buddy? Buddy? <laughs> okay, oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. put the tube right there. You should say it right. right out. Um, Okay. So, yeah, this one's from uh, Dune Read-Through, actually. Oh, uh, they've been hitting us up. Actually, I think we we just got to the part where they're reading. Really? So I think we're going to start like, passing them now. That's cool. We've kind of matched yeah, up with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is, uh, truly hate to be a, well, actually, but <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, because we need that. So we tripped up on a line, I think it was last two episodes ago, I think. Uh, and in the sea reaches, there'd be the white petals of Tremarin vows. Oh, I remember that. We had no idea what that was. We thought it was like a plant or something. Like you a, threw that in like That's honestly, what I guess. Yeah, no, it was a good breakdown of that word. You're like a three-tipped leaf kind of deal. Well, Tremarin is a type of boat. Well, fuck that tree. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that tree. Wait, made of trees? <laughs> sort of like a catamaran or a yacht. Oh, okay. Uh, and a Dow is also a type of boat. Uh, okay, I like the Having the catamaran be the next thing really connects yeah. it to. Yeah, uh, in his opinion, the white petals are the ship's sails. Oh. Which makes sense. Similar to uh, traditional boats that have been used on the Nile for like centuries. If you can imagine like a big white triangle sail. Yeah, yeah, like, with yeah. A, like a real, it's like basically like a giant canoe kind of body. And then the sails propped onto it. Exactly. Yeah. But other than that, enjoy the podcast. And uh, yeah, loves that we're keeping it spoiler free, which is great. Hey. And that's all on you because I don't freaking know a thing anyways. And I just like making Mike take home cancer puppies. So that's all that's really keeping it spoiler free so far. Because <laughs> I like watching Mike make new friends. And, uh, <laughs> Tearing them away. Yeah, I love that character. Well, I'm going to, th- I think Giovanni and I are getting along swimmingly. Yeah, I'm a little jealous, but you know what? He's been, he's, he's great. He's, how can you not love that guy? I know. All right, so... I don't uh, even know where I got him. We give him a little more whiskey? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got... He looks like he's thirsty for it. Uh, <laughs> so little fist bump. Well, <laughs> and... Fly! Yeah, I didn't know he could do that. <laughs> you fist bumps, too? <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous, Mike. You're connected with my pet. <laughs> this isn't how that works. He doesn't have cancer, does he? <laughs> <laughs> Is that why I'm letting you? No. All right, that I think brings us to okay. end of the week. Mike. Now we can get to our little outro. Hey, does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys, do you know a wine perhaps we could afford? Or Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can always reach us at spiceworldpod at gmail.com. Send us a little distrans. And of course, there's our website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for another way to support the show, come join us at our little CH over on patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. And become a Spice World. Become a Spice Worlder. And that's where you can find our exclusive bonus episode Between Two Dunes and Polaros. Ooh, and coming soon. Coming Have s- we announced the next one yet? The Guild Highliners. Yes! I am really excited to go so, over that one with you, Mike. And we, we haven't recorded that yet. I so know. We're stepping into it. 
It's going to be good. Other than that, Derek, tell me what's coming up next week. Like, what's coming up next week is a chapter I've been looking forward to as much as I have been the dinner scene. Okay. As much as I have been the spice scene. Like, this is one of those quintessential pieces that really makes the book. Okay. And in doing so, I pulled you out a little line that I hope you're going to enjoy. The man stopped, half across the dune crest, arms stretched down the slip face. Blood had clotted on his back and on his arms and legs. Patches of yellow-gray sand clung to the wounds. Slowly, he brought his hands under him, pushed himself to his feet, stood there swaying. And even in this almost random action, there remained a trace of once precise movement. What? That's my quote for you. Who's dead? Not dead yet. Not doing too hot, though. Oh, my God. Okay. I can't wait to go through this chapter. I'm, all right. All right. I don't even know what to say about that. That's in, all right. I, and sometimes I don't think there is anything else to say, Mike, except for the, the spice, spice must, must flow. That is not a waffle. <laughs> that is an apple. I have a waffle. Can you take me to the waffle orchards? Because I would love to see what that looks like. Every time you get frozen waffles, she's always bringing them back to the store. <laughs> the there are no waffles in this box, sir. I don't know what you froze. It is not a waffle. I'd like my money back. <laughs> and an explanation. <laughs> <laughs>